coming to you from the Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios, this is The Right Hash. The Right Hash is brought to you by Slim Sweets and by Speedy Custom Sneakers. Now, let's spark it up with your hosts, Luke Nadkarni and Alex Thompson. Welcome to the Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios once again. It's a Friday afternoon when we're recording one of his favorite times of the week. That Friday feeling, as it were, you've just gotten out of work and you have a weekend ahead of you. And in one week, that weekend will be complete with college football, professional football, beginning a couple weeks later. Week zero, not a full slate of games, but games throughout the day. It'll be enough to get the fix for college football in for those who have been starving for it, like myself and Alex Thompson and We've just been, you know, I, I've been. Tw- I tweeted out on the show last week. Two weeks, we're, we're, we've cut that in half, like like a nice sandwich. And you know how quickly you eat the second half of a sandwich after you eat the first half. It never lasts as long as you think it would. So this week is really, I hope, going to fly by, and we'll be watching and breaking down live games before you can say kickoff. This is inevitably going to be the longest week of the year. I don't know why it's just always, you know, it's always the hardest to get to, but nevertheless, we are here and uh, a, a mutual team of ours starts the season earlier than our other teams, but later than week one I, I or later than week zero. So I get like NC state kicks off on the 31st, which is a Thursday night game. Um, so we're, we are officially less than two weeks away from that one. Um, yeah, man, uh, it's it's setting in. It is setting in. And we are, I, 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 I dare say we are there. Nothing gets you excited for the season like an NC State versus UConn matchup. Like if that was an appetizer, what what the hell would that be? Um, uh, it's it's the veggie plate with ranch. There's good parts to it. Uh, you, you would love that. It's yeah, a veggie I mean, plate yeah, with ranch to a guy like me. Um, I still like it. Like, I'm still going to go and, you know, get a little portion of that. It's not what I would desire most, but it's good enough just to start off. You hope you can get enough ranch, whatever the ranch in that game is, like a lot of touchdowns, a lot of you know fights or blocked field goals and punts, whatever. Yeah, it, that the ranch is the exciting part of that game. But <laughs> if you've never experienced it, one thing I will say, I, I, I may have uh, some very blunt takes on NC State here. Uh, the Thursday night environment at Carter Finley is, in my opinion, significantly better than a Saturday environment at Carter Finley. And I don't know why, but state plays on Thursday. I feel like at least once a year, I I remember they played on Thursday twice, a couple of years. Um, and it's always just a really good environment. I feel like it's always packed. There's always people. That should be a really fun game. We'll talk more about that one next week, but that's just like, that's the first thing, the first major personal thing for me on my, you know, in my sights past the week zero Saturday games. Yeah, definitely. And that, that one's at UConn, unfortunately. So it'll be significant. Oh, less. yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah. I- CBS Sports Network with the TV coverage. That's how, that's how I remembered without having to look it up. Uh, they well, have that contract. But it, I mean, I mean, Husky either way, the, the point stands. It's true. Yeah. It's true. You yeah. weren't lying. I think State has a weeknight game, either a Thursday or a Friday. Well, the, the game is at I think they Virginia. have a Friday. Yeah, that's at Virginia. 
Um, but yeah, I'm I'm looking at it here. Uh, there's two Fridays. Oh, okay. So we play Thursday against UConn, the 31st. Saturday, or uh, sorry, Friday, September 22nd at Virginia, and then Friday, September 29th versus Louisville. So okay, of Friday, the first yeah. of the first five weeks, NC State plays on two Saturdays. Welcome to Raleigh. That kind of sucks, but you know well, who has it better than us, as Dave Doran would say. That's what happens when nobody cares whether you win or lose. The same amount of people watch NC State whether they win or lose. There's Correct. no there's regardless no of situation. They could <laughs> they could be ranked ten. They could uh, be at the very end of the Chuck Amato days. The same amount of sixty thousand people are watching that. <laughs> well, our first quarter here today on this episode of the Right Hash, the fifth quarter episode of the third season. You have NC State on one of our lists, and our first list is top five teams outside the initial AP top 25 that could finish in the top 10. So we have one in common, I believe, so we'll just save that one for the end. But since we were talking about NC State here, we'll, we'll go ahead and jump into those blunt takes that that you you have. And while I don't have them on my list as an alum, maybe that's me just being pessimistic, but what, what, uh, what, what NC State finishes in the top 10 if... Oh, I mean, uh, they're, they're getting a much more um, conservative quarterback. I'm not, he's not as, he doesn't have maybe the splash play ability that Devin Leary had, but he, I, I don't, I don't think he has disastrous plays on his own. Now, that there were certainly a couple of games, a couple of instances, Brandon Armstrong would love to have back from his time in Charlottesville. No one is going to argue against that, but, by and large, what he brings with his feet as well as his arms is a lot more consistent product. Um, NC State's wide, wide receiving roster probably leaves a little bit to be desired, but in my experience, those are usually the best NC State wide receiving cores. Um, with the exception maybe of uh, the the, the Drinkwitz, Harmon, Finley uh, wide receiver backfield there, every other one that's been really good at NC State has been a little bit nameless until the season. Um, I think they return good running backs. And for my money, NC State has been the most underrated defensive team in college football the last two years. I think they picked back up. Um, just to give everyone out there uh, the the catalyst for this discussion, um, the last five or six years, every single year, a team outside of the AP Top 25 finished inside of the AP Top 10. Last year, we had TCU and Tennessee both do it. Um, so, that's where this list comes from. NC State listed outside of the top 25 with reason. But another thing that comes into it for me is their schedule. And they've got three games against ranked teams, um, every single one of them at home. Uh, they play Notre Dame in week two at home. They play Clemson uh, 28th of October at home. And the last game of the season, North Carolina at home. Um, so their three biggest games are at home. Wake Forest is not going to be the, you know, the the road difficulty without Sam Hartman and A.T. Perry. They get Miami at home, even following Clemson. They're out of conferences, VMI, UConn, Marshall. I, I, to me, this is a little bit more of, they've really only got three or four spots where they could even, in my opinion, possibly lose a game. Um, 
And that goes a long way in the ACC, especially when there's not going to be divisions. They're going to be stacked up in standings with everybody else, uh, you know, just top to bottom. I think they're going to hang around where Clemson and Florida State are in the standings, mostly because I don't think their schedule's very difficult. Um, and that's why I have them being one of the teams to finish inside the top. Potentially. Now, we have five teams here. There's no way all five are making it. There's really low possibility of any of the five making it, but um, there have been teams that have done it each of the last six or seven years. Uh, and in, in, NC State just has a lot of stuff kind of tick boxes that those other schools that did that have. Uh, and and a, a weaker schedule is certainly one of the largest components of doing it. Well, NC State fans are definitely known for their optimism, so I'm sure they echo basically everything you say. Although, I mean, with the, the we haven't had a, a quarterback like this in in a few years, like like you were saying. So Armstrong being reunited with Robert and I also being you know being kind of like in the NFL, you get re, reunited with a guy you've already worked with before. Uh, that's usually beneficial for him. But uh, you know, I would I would love to see it. I would definitely love to see it. Uh, my first team is actually not a power conference team. I'm actually curious to see how this conference gets viewed on a national scale, given a lot of the realignment. But uh, I, I think the UTSA Roadrunners in their first year in the American Athletic Conference, picked to win the conference by Phil Steele, uh, by the way, are a, a sneaky candidate to finish in the top 10. Um, now that they're on a little bit more of a, they'll be a little bit more visible uh, with the Americans' television contract. Uh, they, their first game is against Houston, at Houston. So it, it's a test right off the bat. Um, I think that, that was a really good game in San Antonio last year. Uh, they're returning that they're uh, they're at Tennessee, of course. You know, if that Tennessee game is their only loss and they run the table otherwise, then that, I think that's still, uh, you know, if they win, they win a, t- a conference title, that's that that could be a catalyst for them to finish in the top 10. But they've got Frank Harris at quarterback. Um, they return eight starters on defense, almost everybody at the skill positions, uh, with the exception of one wide receiver, and the entire interior offensive line returns for the Roadrunners as, as well, who are a program that's been on the rise. They're, you know, they, they seem to get higher in attendance every year, more money getting poured into the program, and now they're taking the step into the American uh, spots vacated by Houston, UCF, uh, and Cincinnati. Uh, so we'll see. This is kind of a kind of a trial run for the American on a national stage this year. Uh, but these new programs come in with a chance to prove themselves and UTSA certainly fits that bill. Yep. No problem with this pick. Um, I think you, uh, outside of Tulane, I think you mentioned the two real trap, not trap games, but just potential to lose at Houston. Like you said, right out of the gate, difficult game. And then, I mean, uh, I don't see them beating Tennessee. That's not even a homer thing. I dual threat quarterbacks always worry me. Um, I don't, I just don't, that's not going to happen. And then the at two lane at the very end. I mean, that, that could be the, the game right there for the conference and for either one of those teams to finish the season in the top 10. Um, just very, very limited amounts of places for this UTSA team to stumble. Uh, a lot of it comes down to their quarterback being, being that dude though like he he was last year and he came back and he's gonna have to be that dude again um i i think you brought up a good point it'll be interesting how the uh the polls view let's just say they get all the way to the end of the season beat everyone but tennessee how do they view the loss and how well does everyone else around the country do is one loss looking good or are there a lot of you know power five 
one, two lost teams across the country. Um, but they're, they're certainly a good candidate for it. Yeah. I've, I've been, you know, been aware of this team for the last few years, working in conference USA and making the move up now. Um, just, just, I, I kind of wish like UCF was still in that, in that league and they were matching up, but I, I digress. So the conferences are going to all look different in, in a couple of years again, anyway. Mimi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, my second team I'm going with is Texas tech. And, you know, I'm not going to go into a, uh, a whole spiel about Texas tech. Um, they had, they had a fantastic first year uh, with, with their new head coach and, um, I, you know, I, I think the big 12 is there for the taking this year. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the difficult things is they do have a tilt against Oregon early in the season. Um, and you, you have the big 12 schedule. They're, they're not slouches there. You still, I mean, you still have to go into, you know, Morgantown and beat West Virginia. You got to beat Kansas state, who was a very disciplined team, uh, throughout the, the calendar last year you had to go to BYU which in recent history has not been an easy place to go to you played the defending national runner-ups TCU and you finished the season at Texas um but that it feels like there's always that surprise team out of the big 12 and to me Texas Tech is that this year their their recruiting has been good their development has been good um like I said, that the conference isn't that great. They dodge Oklahoma this year, if you even consider that dodging a team. Um, you know, I, similar with NC State, I just kind of like how some of the variables here stack up for them. Um, not a not an overly difficult schedule. If you would ask any team who finished last year in the top ten if they would play Texas Tech schedule, <clears throat> I'd say a fair amount of them would say yes. The the only sway is I don't know if I don't know how many teams are signing up to play against Oregon, but at least Oregon is a home game for them. Um, you, you're not having to go to Eugene and, and play the Ducks there, so um, you know, just kind of, kind of a shot in the dark. But Texas Tech had a little bit of a run at the end of last season. Good coach, year two is especially in modern college football uh, is certainly enough. That's when Tennessee did its damage last year was in year two, and part. Perfect timing as Texas and Oklahoma kind of have their eyes out the door. The Big 12 is a little bit of a, you know, smoke and mirrors game right now with how different it's going to look next season. Um, this might be Texas Tech's year to, to strike while everyone else is a little bit more distracted than they are. Yeah, we talked about that Oregon game in the last show. Uh, one of our top non-SEC games this season. I like the pick, too. I just I, I, I've liked that program for a while. Uh, just they had that really epic game we also talked about against Texas in 2008 uh, that kind of vaulted them onto the national scale. Uh, they've had some, you know, had guys like Michael Crabtree come through. Um, and this CS does seem like a conference with no true uh, obvious pick to, to win it, I think. So uh, d- definitely Texas Tech could be in that mix. Cool looking scoreboard at their stadium. Cool city. Yeah. I'd like to go to Lubbock one day, uh, see a game at Jones AT&T Stadium. Um, was was Tuberville the coach in 08? Uh, no, that was Mike Leach. Oh, that's yeah, right. Those were, that's those right. were Mike Leach teams. The year, that, was, that was the year after they beat Virginia in the Gator Bowl. So I was, I was, Texas Tech was on my radar. Uh, they were kind of on my shit list that year, but they were, they were definitely on my radar one way or the other. I think I just blocked out the Mike Leach time because of how it ended. Right. 
with uh craig james and his yeah uh, cake eating son yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that, whole, that whole story <laughs> well, my next team is a power conference team it's out of the sec um arkansas uh in out of the west division uh i've got to see where phil picked them uh, i was looking at their their team page but yeah phil has them fifth in the west which i think is everyone would agree is the superior division once again this year um they don't have a lot of returning starters at the skill positions, breaking in three new offensive linemen, but they have both KJ Jefferson and Rocket Sanders coming back. It's going to be a run-heavy team uh, for the Razorbacks this season. Open with a couple of cupcakes against Western Carolina in Little Rock and Kent State uh, before it gets significantly tougher when BYU comes to town. And then they go to LSU, go to Jerry World to take on Texas A&M before going to Ole Miss and then going to Alabama. So they're going to be away from the state of Arkansas for four straight games, bridging September and October. That's going to be a really big test. It's probably going to be what does them in, but they've got one of the best players in college football in Rocket Sanders. So whenever you have one of the best players in the game, when you have the best player on the field, you have a chance to win the game every time. And Arkansas is going to have the best player on the field in most of their games. So that's a main reason why I've got Arkansas. We'll probably hear a little bit more about Rocket Sanders later in the show, but they are my, my uh, next team on this list. If, if, if there's going to be a surprise team out of the SEC, that's it's, it's coming out of the West and uh, it's, it's going to be them, I think. Yeah, I, I can, I can see two surprise SEC teams. We'll talk about one here in a couple of picks, uh, but Arkansas, if we're talking about West teams, uh, I think Arkansas is definitely the, the, the team to pick right now. Um, you know, my, my, my heart, wants Auburn to be better immediately, but I think it's going to take a few minutes and uh, this is the perfect time for Arkansas to strike. Um, You know, other than it being in the West, really not a particularly difficult schedule, you know, at a conference, they host BYU. They play the Catamounts of Western Carolina. They play Kent state um, FIU that there's, I mean, Maybe BYU has a chance, but it's it's in Little Rock. So, um, I mean that they have a the hellacious stretch of A and M, Ole Miss, Alabama, uh, LSU, A and M, Ole Miss, Alabama, back to back to back to back with no bye week. Um, if you survive that, they end the season: Mississippi State, Florida, Auburn, Missouri. So, survive October and. Arkansas absolutely could be there at for I'll put I'll say for a similar reason to NC State just because of their limited amounts to trip up and it's not that you can take any uh you know week in the SEC for granted you you, you cannot anybody can lose to anybody we saw how close Missouri got to Georgia last year with absolutely no reason to be in that fight it just some Saturdays are not equal to others um but Arkansas, veteran quarterback, uh, extremely explosive. I would say first round talent at running back. Um, it's it's there. It, it it can be done. I like Sam Pittman. So, um, I I personally like this pick. It's just like you said, they they're in the SEC West. There's four teams in the top twenty five. That's hard. That's really really hard. And you have to play them all back to back to back to back. That's that's hard. That's nuts. That's like that's. I was looking. I didn't even know that until I looked at it. I'm I'm I'm, I'm assuming they're the quote unquote home team in uh, in Arlington. Like Florida is the home team in the cocktail party this year. But 
That's a that's a tough tough time to uh, and then you get Mississippi State at home, but they're coming off of a bye week to ca- cap off that uh, that five game stretch. Uh, so that's a uh, that's with also be... the most experienced quarterback in the league, Will right. Rogers, who is like, still there. Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be a, that'll be a, a contrast of styles for sure. Uh, probably not a lot of points being sp- scored in that game, but uh, like to pick in Arkansas. Huh, I've always kind of rooted for them when Tennessee doesn't play them. Um, moving on to my uh, third team here. Uh, I'm going right back to the Big 12, actually. Uh, a team that I mentioned was on the schedule for Texas Tech, and that is Kansas State. Um, honestly, I'm going to save everyone here a minute or two of me rambling and just say pretty much everything that I said about Texas Tech I feel about Kansas state. Um, I just, the, their schedule's even easier. They're the only two ranked teams. They play are Texas and CCU. They don't have that. They, they go to Missouri and we remember the Missouri Kansas state game from last year. Um, that was not a close one. Um, but there's, they play two ranked teams and TCU is going to be a shell of themselves from last year. I mean, the only – I would say the only betting favorite this year right now, August 18th, should be at Texas. That's the only loss that I can conceivably see them being the underdogs in. And that's that's a recipe to finish the season in the top ten, even if you have two losses. Depends on who you beat. Power five teams like this wind up in the top ten of the last AP poll all the time. Um, so I think Kansas State is, out of everyone that I've listed, absolutely the best chance to uh, to finish in the top ten. It's hilarious because I couldn't even name a player that they that they have this year because Deuce Vaughn is gone. So that that was that I, I'm taking your word for it though. Like same thing, Big Twelve. Uh, that's a, a, a low key very proud program, kind of like a. You know, they haven't they don't have the kind of success and pedigree, but I, I've always thought they treat their program very similarly to the way you know the way Nebraska does. You're out in the middle of the of a cornfield or something, and it's it's kind of the only thing there. Um, and they've got a cult hero in Bill Snyder who they still worship, who gets movie references in in remakes of The Longest Yard. So that, I, I've always kind of liked me? Kansas State. <laughs> um, that that was a, my eighth grade science teacher had a Kansas State pennant because he went there. Uh, so that that they they've stood out a little bit, and of course. We, we, we I, I can't believe you went talked about Kansas State without mentioning the purple. The, 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 it's a great shade of purple with the, the silver complements it nicely. It, it is. Um, it's just not a purple. I like per, for them having purple as a primary. It doesn't seem like it. Like silver seems like the primary for. Them. Yeah, and they use black a lot too, especially in basketball. But I'm, I'm telling you right now, do not cut this section that I've just done out. But I, I, I have flubbed it, Luke. I have flubbed it. Can you tell me why I have flubbed it? I, I, I don't know. What, what, what was our topic? What, what was our, our main? Uh, oh, are they in the top twenty-five? They, they are number sixteen. Ah, uh, well, they're outside the top ten and could finish it, in the top ten. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, I failed the assignments. I did not read the prompt closely enough. Um, everyone else applied. This was your prompt. This was yours. It it was. I and I don't know what I was looking at. Maybe I just overlooked seeing Kansas State in the top 25 poll. 
Um, but they they are sitting at 16. Um, so yeah, stands to reason they could finish the season in the top 10. They don't have far to go. Uh, <laughs> however, however, I'm sticking to my guns on all the points. I just failed in the application of them to this topic. Well, it, it happens. If I can think of another one, I'll come up with another one and not bore you guys with anything. Yeah, we're we're this excited about the season. It's just it's there are oversights. Uh, it, it's not like uh, it's not like on a broadcast where you get skewered on Twitter five seconds after you make the mistake, like and people calling for your job and shit. It, actually, you know what? You know what? I'm I'm gonna flip the script here. Pretend that I said Kansas. Sure. Okay. Not Kansas State. Kansas started six and zero last year. They had game day there. Uh, they fell flat on their face towards the end of the season. However, quarterback returns, that was probably that was the primary reason Kansas failed down the stretch as their quarterback got hurt. Um, again, very similar situation where they don't have a particularly difficult schedule on paper. Uh, Oklahoma, Texas, and Kansas State are the ranked teams on their schedule. Um, they play Illinois out of the Big Ten, but other than that, uh, that they have the unfortunate uh, gift of getting to welcome UCF and Cincinnati to the conference this year, two very strong teams over the last couple of years. Uh, so, you know, I, I didn't have them on my initial list for a reason, but looking at everything, uh, th- there's a, there's a feasible logical way that Kansas finishes in the top 10 and they are definitely not in the top t- 25 right now. So, Pretend I said Kansas. Kansas it is. And there, you know, pre- people probably mix up the schools just like people mix up and UNC and NC State. You know, probably you probably get Kansas Wildcats and Kansas State Jayhawks all the fucking time. I'm clicking uh, my so. red heels together right now. Please just take me to Kansas. <laughs> Forget I said Kansas State. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna go back to the coasts away from the heartland for my next one. Both of my next two uh, are coastal. Um, go to the East Coast for this. Literally coastal, coastal Carolina. I've talked a lot about the Sun Belt in these uh these preseason shows. I haven't really talked a lot about the Chanticleers uh, because I've been hyping up that Marshall versus uh, East uh, East Carolina Appalachian State game, um, and that that's the game going to be the game to watch. I feel like in the uh, in the the Sun Belt this season, but Coastal Carolina is always a player too. Uh, they they were supposed to play at uh, Virginia. Last season, that game was canceled because of the shootings uh, with the Virginia program. So I didn't get the the peak at Coastal Carolina that I wanted to uh, to get a look at. But the Chanticleers, always one of those kind of sneaky mid major good programs. Their field is really weird to look at, though. the The teal just doesn't really jive with me. Um, it, it it's kind of a a weird aesthetic with the black end zones and. I don't know. I don't really like it. It's not like the blue turf where Boise or Boise State just just pulls it off. Um, but they no, they, they, they got they've the got to replace they've got to replace their coach, and it, that's tough to do. But they just seem like one of those programs that reloads. You know, it's it's a it's an attractive place for people to go to college and play football. It's like oh, you want to go come play and live by the beach and 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 play a sport. And yeah, that that sounds good. I'm I'm going to go to Coastal Carolina, um, but. Number of returning starters here. Grayson McCall is also is is back. They've got eight coming back on offense, including everyone but the center. Uh, so that that'll be the toughest person to replace. The defense, a little bit less returning experience. Uh, six returning starters, um, but I think it's going to be an offensively oriented team. So that's 
sort of the 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 uh the goal here with with Coastal Carolina. They always are an or an offensively oriented team. Uh and they open with UCLA. So that's that's a chance for them to make a splash early. Uh they get Marshall at home this season. They do have to go to Appalachian State and apps coming off a bye in that game. That's that'll be on a, a Wednesday night. That's fun belt action. Uh, so that that'll be cool to watch. It seems like oh, the, the good thing about the Sun Belt is the biggest games are always on national television. They don't they don't they make sure you don't miss them. So Tim Beck, former NC State assistant, total of 14 returning starters, including including the quarterback. Uh, this team has just as much chance of winning the Sun Belt, I think, as Marshall and Appalachian State. So keep an eye on on the Chanticleers and great, great mascot, great color scheme. Uh, that, yeah, that's that's my piece on on Coastal Carolina. Excellent. I don't have anything to say other than they have the best quarterback in the conference, and that's usually a good thing. Yep, basically. All right. Um, moving to my last individual pick. Um, this isn't even something that I believe will happen, but they have all the money. They have the roster. They have the program history. It seems weird seeing them outside an initial top 25, even with how mediocre they've been with Tyler Van Dyke in recent years and among other teams. But uh, my last team here is the Miami Hurricanes. Um, it's a tough road. I'm, I just, I'm just going to say that. It's a tough road. They, they get Texas A&M again this year, week two. They go to Carolina and then play Clemson back-to-back weeks. They end the season, uh, well, they have uh, middle of November, uh, go to NC State, go to Florida State back-to-back. Um, so their schedule is not particularly working with them. Uh, but like I said, this is just one of those, if I had to pick a dark horse, I'm going to take a dark horse that's got, you know, uh, the the money from NIL. They have the roster. It's a good transfer destination. I, I, I'm not a fan of head coach or really any of the players, if I'm just being completely honest. Uh, I don't really like Miami, but they have too many resources to stay bad, kind of like Florida State. They just have too many resources to stay bad. Florida State sprung back onto the scene last year. Miami's going to do it eventually. I might as well put them on this list because they're as likely to do it as anybody else outside of the top 25. And they have the resources to pull it off more than most teams outside of the top 20. Actually, probably more than any team outside the top 25. They have the resources to be better than and make it back into the top 10. Um, Clemson's a little bit weak this year, I think. UNC, they have a quarterback and that's about it. Florida State, we'll see what they are, but there, there is absolutely no reason on paper that Miami isn't competing for the fucking ACC every single year. Eventually, they're going to get back to it. I, I'm just putting it here. Possibly, it could be this year. If the ACC exists past this season, right? Uh, well, but... that, that, they will. They're they're going to pick teams off of the left coast to meet their numbers. Yeah, <laughs> with George W. Bush uh, and Condoleezza Rice lobbying. Sure, <laughs> with pitchforks outside the ACC <laughs> office. For Save their Boston College. Schools. Um, well, they were they were actually doing that with Rice for Stanford and W for SMU because they're you know trustees or whatever. So that that was a thing that makes happened. sense. Um, makes sense. Yeah, my you know, the sleeping giant. They're they're the epitome of a sleeping giant, uh, Miami. And I I, I I like the coach they've got. I, mean, I've, I like Mario Cristobal a lot. Fits down there, Cuban American. 
Um, you know, a guy that the city, you know, they've always had a big fan base in the city. That's what's driven them uh, in the Miami area guy, guy who really identifies with the area and good, good at, you know, they've been, they've been hitting the recruiting trail and, and the portal too. So yeah, but, you know, my, that's, and that's a team out of the ACC I'd like to see. Uh, I don't want to see Florida state do really, really well all the time. I hate Clemson. I don't want to see North Carolina or Virginia tech do. I want to see Miami is a a good, that was a team I rooted for a lot before they joined the ACC, just because they were so good. They had so many great players and you've seen the documentaries and whatnot. So definitely would be like a return to, to the the glory days of college football uh, as, as we know it. That the program is built for modern success. They just, you know, you and I will disagree on crystal ball. Uh, you know, I thought he did a good job at Oregon roughly, but uh, just been a little bit out of his league. Of course that this Miami job is eating better coaches than him. And I can say the same thing about Florida state over the last 10 or 15 years, minus their random national championship runs uh, can say the same thing about Tennessee, Nebraska, a lot of those historic colleges that are just trying to find their footing. They're eating good coaches uh, faster than they can find them. I don't think Crystal Ball personally is the guy to get them over, but he has John Ruiz stroking checks in the background. Um, nobody else has had that. No one else in the country has that. And paying players to come is, I mean, it's it's half the battle. Now you have to coach them and, and, and beat out teams like Clemson who are recruiting like you, but have a better head coach, better, you know, recent program. Um, but again, as I said, there's absolutely no reason a program – of Miami stature with Miami's money, there is no reason they should be outside of the top 25 ever, much less preseason. <laughs> Shows you how far they've fallen in the current last, you know, the current landscape of college football. Uh, my next, it's, uh, it's been a hurricane. <laughs> my next, uh, next one in an area that's probably going to get hit by a hurricane this week. If you've read in the weather report, um, actually, I just, I did mention them in the coastal Carolina um, pick because they play Coastal Carolina and it's UCLA um, and they've got two impact transfers. Well, one's definitely going to be an impact transfer. Carson Steele from Ball State. Uh, go back to our last show if you want to hear us talk about him a little bit. Uh, College Lee out of Kent State competing for the job, uh, starting quarterback job with Dante Moore. Probably gonna, my gut says it's going to be Dante Moore who gets the start for the Bruins opening Same. up against Coastal Carolina at the Rose Bowl. Uh, that's tricky game on the road at San Diego state in week two in that new stadium. Uh, that, that'll be interesting. I wonder what the TV arrangements for that are. That that'll be a, a I think that, I wonder if that's going to be like one of those late night games that we get at the end of the night as a, as a, a, a midnight snack, uh, if you will. Um, coastal UCLA. Uh, sorry. No, sorry. UCLA, San Diego state. Uh, oh, okay, week two. Okay. Gotcha. Um, that's, that's an interesting one, but uh, the pac 12 kind of, Similar to the Big 12, I don't see a bona fide runaway with the conference team in this league. In the last year, it's probably going to be intact. Um, and, and, you know, Chip Kelly has quietly re- rekindled his coaching career down in Westwood. He kind of tarnished his legacy in the NFL like so many good college coaches do. Uh, but you're not hearing a lot about him, which I think is what he wanted when he took the UCLA job. You're hearing more about the players he turns out. Um, and they've got four out of five offensive linemen returning, which is essential in a Chip Kelly offense. Uh, so this is going to be another team that that wins games with lots of points um, and replacing Dorian Thompson Robinson, not going to be easy, but I think that, you know, they've got the pieces to do it and they've got, you know, the, the, the foundation in the middle of the feet and in the trenches uh, because they got three out of four uh of the their defensive linemen returning as well 
two juniors and a sophomore. So, you know, UCLA, if it, you know, they, they don't get talked about a lot, haven't been talked about a lot over the last, you know, really a lot of in our, in our lifetimes, other than being like a historically great athletic department, but yeah, you know, don't be surprised if they finish higher than, than USC this season. I'll just, I'll throw that on the record since I'm picking them in on this list. Yeah, that they've got a, a proven head coach. And I'd say the only the only thing he needs is a Dorian Thompson Robinson, Marcus Mariota, you know, that type of quarterback. He doesn't have to be the best thrower. He has to be a good thrower. But as long as you have that dual threat quarterback, Chip Kelly knows what to do with you. Um, he's one of the few guys across the country that I can just say, I don't know what the rest of his squad is going to look like, but Chip Kelly's pretty much always going to have a good quarterback. Um, and that is that that is a humongous battle for pretty much every team across the country. It's finding a quarterback that can lead them the distance. And w- like you said, we'll see if UCLA has that this year. I, I'm I'm almost certain they have that in Dante Moore, but him being a freshman, you know, I I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I would say watch out for Ethan Garbers in this uh in this race too, um as I'm just not familiar still with Colin Schley, um, but you know, favorable conference to be in, um, top heavy for sure. The 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 bottom of this conference is not very good. Um. Yeah, I. I mean, I. I could definitely see it. I, I think there were, there were chances for UCLA to end last year a lot better than they did as well, um, and, and possibly could have been in that top ten had a couple of things gone gone their way. Uh, so I. I definitely don't think it's uh, out of the realm of possibility for it to happen this year. Uh, definitely not. And you know, fo- historic football gets played in the Rose Bowl every year, so. You know, UCLA, it's always it's it's another one of those bucket list stadiums. You know, it, they, it'd be Virginia played out there a couple years, not a couple years, eight years ago. But I, I some, knew a few people who went to the game and said the Rose Bowl was every bit as it was as advertised. Yeah, it's interesting. UNC Central goes there week three. That's a that's a hell of a trek. <laughs> I wonder how much the how much how much money are they getting for that? <laughs> I mean, just imagine how much it costs. I was I was actually thinking about this yesterday about how the Big Ten are going to logistically operate conference games. It's going to have to be something where like pods of three teams go to the West Coast and just play USC and UCLA and just all stay over there for a couple of weeks. Because, yeah. uh, like, I mean, I, I just don't know if you can justify going that much across the country a couple times a year. Just s- say that you're on a year that you play UCLA and USC on the schedule, and they're both away games. Like, think of, uh, the, the nightmare is there. Maybe the Big Ten will do something like the SEC and not make the, you know, make everyone play one or the other. But anyway, that was just something that I was thinking about yesterday, the logistical nightmare I don't of think anyone actually, both of the Cal. I don't think anyone are. actually knows the answer, to be honest with you. <laughs> like. Yeah, like I, I was playing that game in my mind with like the the, the fox, the chicken, and the seed, and like you had to get them all to the same side without them right. being together. And yeah. like in my mind, I kind of figured it out, but then I'm like, okay, uh, that means Rutgers is going to have to be in California for three weeks for this to work out. But yeah. anyway, that that's for much smarter people like the Big Ten to figure out. Um, I'll go ahead and, and just mention our combined one. 
this is the one that I have. If I was to rank, I didn't really rank the other ones, but this one I definitely think has the best chance of it. And it's... Uh, uh, God, do we have to say it? Do we have to say it? Uh, are we gonna give? Are we gonna give this man the satisfaction? Um. Well, first off, I'm just gonna smile because they're outside of the top 25, and that's rightful. Um, the South Carolina Gamecocks. Uh, there is a lot of momentum with that program. They're recruiting well. They found their footing at the end of last season. What I'll say to that, though, is the prior season that also occurred and they started off the season slow last year. Um, Spencer Rattler kind of found his groove. They have a new offensive coordinator. They had some important guys transfer out. But if if they play fairly consistently like they did against Tennessee and Clemson to end their season – this is going to be a rough year for the SEC East uh, because it, the SEC is already difficult enough. Um, and if if we go back to, to having South Carolina being good again, when I say good again, I'm referring to the Spurrier years, for those who maybe are not aware. Uh, I'm referring to the Spurrier years in Columbia. It, it's it's just going to make it even, even more difficult. Um, and that's not something I want to see. This isn't a team that I'm quote unquote scared of, but I'm very aware that the SEC has money everywhere. I, I think three quarters of the SEC have the have the potential to be a top twenty five, top fifteen mainstay if they get their resources right and find the right man for the job. I still don't know if that's Beamer. Beamer, much like Drinkwitz, is just really way too goofy, way too corny, cheesy, weird for me to, to see being a mainstay at this level. Um, but yeah, you, you have to give credit where credit is due for what they've done. The big hurdle for them is getting over the first half of the season. And then the last game, they start with UNC coming. Um, I, I believe that's neutral site game. Um, they go to Georgia, uh, September 16th, they go to Tennessee, September 30th. Um, so they're playing three top 20 teams in the first five games, two of them on the road in two of the most intense stadiums in the SEC. Uh, they also go to Texas A&M this year, and then they end with Clemson. So this is not one of those things where, like NC State, where I was just kind of chalking them up to kind of an easy schedule is why they might wind up there. I think if South Carolina winds up in the top 10, it's going to be because they're good and Spencer Rattler is having a Heisman Trophy worthy campaign, which what, I was going to say. You, you just can't rule it out with the way he played and the way he came out of college. I mean, came out of high school. You just can't rule it out as much as I would like to. You just can't. Yeah, I was going to say, this depends 95% on how Spencer Rattler plays this season. He's, he's going to be the engine that makes them go. Um, you know, you talked about their schedule. They get that test early on with, with Georgia, like they do every year. That's not a, not a surprise. Um, but you know, that'll be the, the CBS game that day. Uh, it's already been determined. Um, uh, but you know, we, we, you know, we kind of both had this on our list for, for similar reasons. So I won't go repeating what you said, but I, you know, if I had, if I had let off this, the, uh, that pick, I definitely would have just said what I just said. 95% of this depends on, on Spencer Rattler, I, I think. So maybe, maybe the, one team in the in the country this season that is going to be so dependent on on how their quarterback plays. I, I just think it's magnified with the national attention that he's getting. 
uh, in, in this preseason. I, it seems like he's getting more this year than he was last year. And he got a lot of it last year. It's a lot more founded this year, the way he ended the season. Oh, the way he was playing up until that Tennessee game was fucking terrible. I mean, there was no other word for how Spencer Rattler had played up until that point other than awful, terrible, got his offensive coordinator fired bad. Um, yeah, it, it'll it'll be interesting, I guess, to, to say the least. Um, I, uh, they're not – I can tell you one thing. They're not sneaking up on anyone this year, and they got to go to Georgia, and I don't – I'll tell you one thing. If if they walk out of there with a win in, in Neyland Stadium, it, it it will not be with their sanity. Uh, that is going to be maybe the loudest game in Neyland next year, just because of what losing that game last year meant. That took away a playoff spot um, in year two. They took Hendon Hooker. Um, that is going to be an environment. I hope it's a night game. I hope it's not one of those stupid noon games. Um, I hope it's a night game and. Uh, I do not envy the Gamecock players that have to go into Neyland for that one. Uh, no, definitely not. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, what day? What day is there? What week is that? Is that uh, September thirtieth? Okay, so that's yeah, that's early on. They get, they week get two five. of their toughest games early, early on in the season. Three: uh, Carol, Carolina, Georgia, and Tennessee. Oh well, fuck, fuck UNC. I don't give a shit about that. <laughs> fuck Drake. Fuck Drake, man. <laughs> but but hey, South Carolina and North Carolina are practically the same boat. It's ha- yeah. it's th- their quarterback goes as their team's going to go. Yep, one hundred percent. And they got they got, those bastards got the college game day assignment in week one. So I, yeah. I was hoping for UT Martin Georgia. I wanted them to come between the hedges for that. Oh yeah, I mean you know the classic <laughs> matchup. <laughs> <laughs> as that's the end of the first quarter here on the right hash episode five of season number three. One down, three to go. Second quarter action straight ahead, right here on the right hash. seamlessly transition to our second list another college list in the second quarter top five heisman candidates who are non-quarterbacks and we had two overlaps in this one both of them i think more than deserved uh so not we weren't in cahoots by the way we we just generally compare these notes on on show day we spend uh spend the the days before compiling the the list so we we did we ended up with uh 40 of this list being uh being matched so i'll start with one that isn't um, and I'll I'll start in this the SEC uh, with Malik Neighbors at LSU. Kayshawn Butte is out of the picture this uh, this season. And by, I, if I didn't mention it, top five Heisman candidates who are not quarterbacks. Because if we included quarterbacks, I think this would be a very very boring uh, list for for both of us. It would be only um, quarterbacks, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> that's and all that wins this. Right? And all the same quarterbacks that you you've been hearing about from everybody else. Uh, but Malik Neighbors is uh, going to be the top target, I think, for Jaden Daniels and Baton Rouge this season. Um, you know, but like I said, Boutte is out, out of the picture with the the, uh, the New England Patriots now. Um, I, we'll, we'll hear about him in, in the second half of the show. Um, but this is uh, this is just a guy that you've been hearing tons about this this season. Um, so, my, you know, he might be, might be the most talented pass catcher outside of Athens, Georgia, or Knoxville, Tennessee in the uh, – in the, uh, the SEC this season. Um, L- L- the SEC West, I feel like, isn't as 
unless you're Alabama, it's never as wide receiver heavy as, as the, the other, the you know, other conferences and, and the sec East. Um, but LSU, LSU got a guy who can follow in the lines of Jamar chase, Justin Jefferson. Um, we, we, I know they're DBU, but you know, they, they're probably that other school that turns out the most talented wide receivers uh, that go on to have great NFL careers. So uh, watch out for Malik neighbors. He could be in New York in, in mid-December. Good pick. Uh, high volume is going to be his season. He is, you know, he is going to be the main pass catcher, as you said. So, um, and I'll see your LSU Tiger and I'll match at LSU Tiger. Uh, Harold Perkins Jr. Outside linebacker. Defensive player I got here on my list. Um, I, you could not watch an LSU game without noticing this guy last year. I mean, he was a freshman and just absolutely wreaked havoc off of the edge. Um, he was he was the best player on their defense, and they had two or three guys drafted off of that defense. Um Defensive players don't win this, at least not since Tennessee had a Heisman candidate quarterback back in 97. Um, but, you know, we're talking non, non-QBs. I like to give the defensive side of the ball a guy out there because, you know, don't let your dreams just be dreams. And he's the type of guy that a couple of strip sixes in some big games can do a lot for a guy's uh, n- national uh, recognition. Um yeah, why not? I, I, I like I like what LSU is going to do this year. They're going to be in a lot of big games that a lot of people are watching, and he is going to be extremely noticeable. You are going to remember watching Harold Perkins Jr. And come December, when everyone's tabulating, everyone is going to have, you know, a little bit of a remembrance of Harold Perkins, and I think he's got a chance to maybe, I'm just going to say, wind up in New York. Yeah, like that pick. Like like this LSU team a lot. I'm I'm glad the dogs don't have to play them in the regular season. Um, you know, we we've talked a lot how we're looking forward to that that Alabama game. Um, and yeah, one of these two guys that we've mentioned is going to have a huge game in that game. I, I I just I'm speaking it into existence because we talked about them on the right hash. Just one one of those two guys is going to going to make his Heisman case in that game, which is very likely going to be at night on national television. So well, LSU, Alabama- this is your. Alabama doesn't have Bryce Young this year, so nope. uh, let lick your chops, pass rushers, because the Houdini of Tus- Tuscaloosa is no longer there. <laughs> I also have a defensive player on my list. This one comes from Georgia, uh, guy. I just I just describe him as a dude. Malachi Starks, uh, sophomore defensive back, had four interceptions last year, seven pass breakups, sixty eight tackles for the Bulldogs. He is going to be even more called upon this year because I think everybody else from that defense now plays for the Philadelphia Eagles or, or so it seems, um, you know, you got Keely Ringo who was the, uh, the heart and soul of that secondary last year uh, now in Philadelphia. So the dogs going to rely a lot on Starks in that back seven. Um, and he's just, he's the guy who just calls the shots back there. Um, he's going to be that guy this year. And, Georgia having the best defense over in college football over the last couple of years. And it only seems appropriate that if they have a Heisman candidate or two Heisman candidates, uh, hint, hint, uh, that one of them comes from the defensive side of the ball. Um, Kirby smarts defenses are too good to, to not have that. And if there's a three Pete this year, uh, this is going to be one of the guys who is going to be the primary reason. Um, you know, Malachi Starks is, 
the, the next in line, I, I think, for Georgia. He's he's got another year after this one to season his uh, his draft potential, and they're really really looking forward to uh, seeing him just just fuck shit up in the defensive backfield this season uh, for the Dogs. <sighs> another homer pick. What's what's new? Uh, um, yeah. Ho hum. Yeah, I I'll let you have it. It's your list. Uh, I'm not going to say anything about it because, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have anything constructive to say about that pick. If I'm just being honest, but it, it is your list for a reason. You are entitled to your opinion, and you watch a lot of Georgia football, and I, I fully believe that you have this guy. Um, as as, and you know, who 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 would have said, uh, right, you know, who would have said Charles Woodson would have won the Heisman before he did it? So you know. Maybe know, this could be this could be a wacky. It's been a wacky see off season off the field. Could be a wacky season on the field. Who, who knows? Could be one of those years where we get a defensive oh. Heisman winner. Well, just keep him from driving his own car, and he's got a chance <laughs> to. Uh, he's got a chance to make it. Yeah, I forgot to mention he's one of I think five players left on this Georgia roster has not been caught for reckless driving or something like that. <laughs> or he's one of the five that found one of the cool cops in Athens. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, we both have this guy. I'm going to go ahead and get the day of the dog off of both of our lists. Um, Brock Bowers. I mean, the, n- nothing he does is particularly sexy, but I mean, the guy just, the guy just chews up yardage. He chews up targets. He chews up touchdowns. He just, output everywhere the only thing working against him this year is having a brand new quarterback and just not knowing what to expect of Carson Beck or you know whoever winds up being his quarterback for the majority of the year um I think that's the only thing that stops him from getting to New York is is his quarterback because he's good enough he I would have put him there before I put Stetson there last year personally uh I, I think he was more irreplaceable to Georgia than Stetson, which is, you know, I don't know if that's just kind of uh, if I'm being a heathen by saying that, or if I'm being a hater, I don't know. It could be both. Uh, Brock Bowers is the most important player in Athens this year. I, and I, I don't, I don't think I'm wrong. No, you're not. I mean, that's, that's, that's the, the chatter this year is he's going to be the guy on, on offense this season. One thing that he doesn't get talked about a lot uh, and you know maybe it's, it's, it gets slips through the cracks for a lot of great receivers or or, you know, or tight ends, pass catch, whatever the hell he lines up as. It, it doesn't really matter. He's a great blocker out in space. Uh, he he's one of those reasons that Georgia's run game is as good as it is. So he's got that added element to his game that you don't see from every premier wide receiver in college football. He's a guy that you don't want to see yourself lined up against, and he's also a guy that you don't want to see yourself. Come, you know, you don't want to see him coming up to you on a run play because you're probably going to end up on your ass, on your back, something like that. Uh, pancake, I guess, is, is the, the proper term. Um, but he's he probably leads wide receivers in pancakes too, just just without looking it up. I mean, and that to me, that is the portion of his game that opens everything else up. If you're a believable blocker and you're good at it, teams have to respect it. If you line up on the end of the line. They have to respect that you could very, very realistically be there to block. And that is when you run that fake pitch behind him and let him cut back across the field the other way against the grain, and he's wide-ass open by himself like it only happened 12 or 14 times last year. Um, but it, it, all, it all stems from him being 
a respected blocker. Um, it, and especially for his size, because he doesn't come off like he, he's not a Jason Witten size type of tight end where you would think, all right, yeah, that guy's a blocker. And then it's going to catch like first down routes. No, that this, this guy is, I, I see him more as like George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, um, good blockers, but this guy is going to stretch the field. And I think that's what everyone else sees him as. I would be shocked if he's not a, a top 10, you know, quote unquote NFL lottery type pick next year, just the way that that position gets used in the NFL, seeing Kyle Pitts go a couple of years ago, as high as he did. Brock Bowers has 10 times more actual accomplishment than Kyle Pitts ever did. Brock Bowers got a real good chance to be a top five pick next year. If he doesn't get hurt and, and, doesn't have a quarterback just to absolutely have him off of a ledge production wise. Yeah, de- definitely. Like, like, like he's got, and they've got, they've got such a tough schedule for, for him to, to go up against, especially early with oh, yeah. UT Martin and ball state coming between the hedges for, for weeks one and two. I just, also I, I hard. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got one and I, I I'm including this, this guy. I don't know. I'm going to full disclosure. I don't know a ton about him, but he is a running back from Penn State University, so he's going to be in the running, no pun intended, uh, basically based on that. Nicholas Singleton um, and for the Nittany Lions. Um, he's he's just the, the guy that you know, I, I wanted to have a Penn State running back on, on this list because you know the, the, the likes of Larry Johnson, Saquon Barkley, uh, not, not Heisman winners, but guys who have been in the running, who have been well-known nationally, uh, if you're a college football fan. This is uh, – this is – uh, Penn State's linebacker, U, LBU, uh, or was one of the schools that can claim it anyway. They're they're also a school that I think can claim RBU, um, and and they're a dark horse, I would say, in the Big Ten. Uh, Michigan and Ohio State are always going to be the sexy picks, and I think this is a problem that Penn State deals with every season. They're overshadowed by Ohio State and Michigan, uh, but they're never overshadowed with individual talent. I think, and and I, I think Singleton, who's in a deep backfield, by the way, they've they've got. Uh, Katron Allen as well, and, and Trayson Potts. What a great name. Uh, and I don't know much about Tank Smith, uh, but his name is Tank, and, and he's a running back. So probably at least halfway decent there. Um, but, you know, Penn State's always a team that, that has a solid running game. Um, and I, I think, you know, we, we we will probably do another show where we predict uh, conference winners, but Penn State's got a chance to win the Big Ten, like they always do. Uh, they're not going to be talked about as much, but uh, Nicholas Singleton – is is uh is going to be the the primary offensive threat on this team i think kind of like saquon barkley was a few years ago um really really and penn state is kind of an you know they're not geographically an sec program but i've always seen them as an sec type program kind of like clemson kind of like florida state virginia tech big stadium uh football crazed culture in the town and you know kind of in the middle of nowhere where the the stadium becomes like the third largest city in the state when it's full on game day. So uh, Penn state's a, 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 just a fun football atmosphere. Never got, never made it up there yet, but uh, on the bucket list for sure. Yeah. I mean, his only competition up there for Heisman is going to be his own quarterback, Drew Alar. So um, I, I like to pick, I am, I am with you in that I'm not super familiar with him. He is from Shillington, Pennsylvania, which is a really cool sounding place. Um, and yes, Penn State also reminds me of the South because, uh, in the South, I have also seen groups of 60 or 70,000 wearing nothing but white going through the streets. So, um, 
there's that, <laughs> oh my there, there's that there's that portion too but the, the their fan base uh i mentioned it with like west virginia that just their fan base the way that they act towards yeah. their program yeah i mean is, it's like it's it's a religion dude there's no it's other super, word it. yeah, it's it's very, very relatable that they would fit in there that they're also very like you know steel mill blue collar type of people which fits in very well so yeah um you know i i as any pick on here like we started a quarterback's winning caleb williams is winning the heisman trophy this year but um he's got as good a chance as any anyone else outside of a quarterback um i'm gonna match you with another running back and my favorite running back not wearing tennessee orange in the country Raheem Rocket Sanders, you mentioned him a little bit earlier uh, in the first quarter with with having Arkansas be one of those, you know, outside the top 25 finish in the top 10 schools. Um, if if that happens, I, I think it's primarily because Rocket Sanders has another amazing year. He had an excellent year last year, but they had some quarterback issues. They had injury issues all over the place, and it just got lost. Tremendous year last year. And it's all, I think he's only going to get better. Um, we'll we'll see how much the NFL values running backs, but this is one of those guys that, you know, if he's there day two, take a flyer. This is this is a super talented young man. I think he has everything that it's going to take. Uh, it helps that he plays in the SEC. I think SEC running backs are going to get a little bit more of a nod than maybe some of the other conferences outside of the big 10 the big 10 and sec i think are the two conferences that you can win a heisman trophy as a running back i don't i just don't think you can do it in the other ones because of how they play sec absolutely can and he is going to be i think he's going to be the focal point of the arkansas razorbacks program this year yeah Uh, so i would be surprised if they are not just feeding this guy touches and touches and touches all game long all year long yeah, I mean, when your guy when his name is Rocket, like it's like in Arkansas, like that's like it just doesn't match. It's like it's got to be really, really good if his name is Rocket and he slipped all the way to play at Arkansas. It's it's the Rocket, only Rocket, Rocket Ismail. It's the only Rocket that's probably ever been in that state. Yeah, like they might they might not get another player named Rocket or resident name. Like if they do, like I think it's going to be a long, long time before they get another player named named Rocket. Reggie Rocket has a better chance of being an Arkansas than another <laughs> Rocket. Although, although with with Sanders, with how good he is at scoring, touchdown will bring him down again to find uh, all, all the time. I I, I think uh, as uh, so our uh, our our last one is is a, a another overlap. Um, and I've got is, two. I've got two uh, left because oh, I I did one of yours. That's right. Um, go ahead and we'll uh, finish with the one we've we've got. Uh, yes, my my other one, uh, which I'm surprised we didn't overlap on, but um, it's perfectly fine. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., wide receiver, Ohio State. I don't think I need to say a lot about it. I'm going to say that uh, him winning the Heisman is kind of the same contingent as Brock Bowers. If his quarterback is not up to snuff, he's not even going to compete for it. If his quarterback is is good but not great, watch, watch out for Marvin Harrison. He, he, people are already pissed off that he didn't win the Belitnikoff last year. Um, and, you know, to be fair – I think he he was right there. Number two, I mean, we're talking 1A, 1B with Hyatt and and Harrison last year. Hyatt had the five-touchdown game versus Bama, which ultimately I think was the trump card. But Marvin Harrison Jr., if he doesn't get hurt, Ohio State, I dare say, maybe wins a national title. So 
Um, this guy is important. This guy is huge. This guy is freaking an amazing route runner. Uh, he is better than his dad ever was in college. It'd be interesting to see what he does in compared to his dad in the pros. But as far as college goes, uh, he eats Marvin Harrison's lunch. Uh, he's the best receiver in the country. Maybe the best receiver prospect in the last couple of years. And that's saying a ton. Um, if I, if I had to put my own money on a non quarterback winning the Heisman, my money would be on Marvin Harrison jr. Yeah. I just don't like Ohio state. So I left them off the list <laughs> and I just had to have two dogs on here because, because so, I'm a Homer. Like you well, said, like, like I said, that that's, that's, I mean, I, if, if I, if I just wanted the most accurate or most scientifically derived list, I would have just Googled it. Um, <laughs> right. I, 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 I want your opinion and Homer or not, your opinion is your opinion. And I look forward to hearing it, but perfectly valid reason to keep Marvin Harrison off of an opinionated list as well. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he, and he did take that hit. We'll see if he's still good after he took that hit uh, last year in the, uh, in the, the, the peach bowl, which was called for targeting and wiped away and Ohio state fans still mad about it. Like they shouldn't be mad about their kicker flubbing a fucking field goal at, at the final gun, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Yes. <laughs> so go uh, ahead and kick yeah. us off into our last one who Ohio yeah. state fans will not be happy with. Oh, absolutely not. And you, you think you might think that the, the tide is turning in this rivalry. Uh, we talked a little bit about the game itself. Uh, the, the actual game, uh, Ohio state versus Michigan in our last show. Um, and now we go from an Ohio state offensive player to a Michigan offensive player in our Heisman list. And that's of course, Blake Corum. Um, he's battled a little bit of injuries over his career with the Wolverines. Uh, but he is, I think other than rocket Sanders, maybe the top running back in the league, this or in the league, in the country this season, um, he's behind an offensive line that returns four of five starters. Um, and is consistently one of the best in the country every year. Um, and Michigan is going to have a chip on their shoulder because they were bounced by TCU last year. Uh, JJ McCarthy returns. This offense is probably going to be really, really good. And this is a team that's going to control the ball a lot, I think, because they have a really solid defense. Um, and you know, they, this is going to be the, the, the key for Michigan this year is to just keep that offense on the field, keep giving Blake Corum the ball, you know, spell him when you can keep him fresh. Um, but He's, you know, he's going to be a guy you see on social media every week with highlights and touchdown runs. And he's going to have his Heisman candidate on the road from, you know, from the start of the season. Uh, I think Heisman, there's always a few guys who make themselves known in the middle of the year toward the end of the year. That's not going to happen with this guy. He is on everybody's radar. He was the first guy I had on the list for a reason. Um, so same just just you know just Michigan's always in this the national spotlight they're a prime candidate to return to the CFP this year um, and you know what we what, what can we say just the, the the wings on the helmet usually convey uh, individual greatness you know they haven't haven't really won shit over the last you know 30 years or whatever since we've been alive but all, a lot of lot and lot of NFL players come through that program and this is it's going to be another one of them for at least a couple years while running backs still get carries in the league couldn't have said any of it better um to add to that he has a couple of things working for him um one caleb williams already won the heisman last year uh committee doesn't particularly like having back-to-back winners although they have done it they don't i don't think they want to if they don't have to um and two the media 
fucking loves the storyline. And Blake Corum getting hurt against Ohio State at the end of last year, um, only got two carries in that game, is a humongous storyline. Coming back, him with something to prove. Uh, he ran for over 100 yards in every single game that they actually let him play the whole one for, which was September 24th until he got hurt. He had 100 yards in eight straight games, um, 243 yards against Maryland to start off that run, uh, at least one touchdown in every single one of those games as well. Um, right before Maryland, he had five touchdowns against Connecticut. This guy does what you want. I mean, and th those are just rushing numbers, by the way. Um, this guy does everything that you need. Uh, Hard-nosed runner. This is the type of guy that you're going to see teams if he stays healthy. This is going to be the one or two running backs that the Falcons or the Lions, the type of teams in that area, are just going to go ahead and snag their running back for the next five years. Um, he's tremendous talent. 1,500 yards last year, and he didn't even play in the last game and barely played in the first three. Uh, just – I can't say enough about him. And on top of all that, he just seems like a good dude, uh, which at the end of the day, if I'm deciding things, if, if Caleb Williams and him are kind of on the same page, you know, on the same level there at the end, I'm giving it to Corum all day just because I like Corum better. Um, so th there that is. Uh, yeah. Tr tremendous tremendous talent if there's if there's going to be a non-quarterback win it it's probably going to be him yeah good good list too we, we we try we have trouble coming up with these sometimes because we we, we try to save the predictions and stuff like the team predictions and conference winners for closer to week one it's kind of that we're still i still consider this yeah. mid-august I know we're a yep. week away from games, but this was these were a couple of, of very, very solid lists, ones that make you do a little research, ones that make you think. So, uh, well, and, you know, we, we got to shout him out again uh, because he is he is the straw that stirs our drink. Our great friend, Phil Steele and his staff for, for just compiling this amazing magazine every offseason that you've probably heard me flipping through at points during this show, uh, which we, we'd not be able to do it without him. So uh, round, round of applause, of course, for, for Phil Steele as we, we hit halftime here on the right hash. I like to do these lists too that um, you can't just go Google and find five people at every sports publication that have put out their list of the same thing. Like you can Google and find people's list of top five non-QB Heisman candidates or teams finish in the top 10 that started outside of the top 25, but they are extremely few and far between. I, I, we, we like to have unique lists. So sometimes they're a little bit difficult to come up with. We like to do them. I mean, we're sitting here an hour and a half just through our college football lists. Um, yeah. I, I love to do unique lists. Like Luke said, save some of the predictions for later, but even then like, who the fuck wants to hear who our top five quarterbacks in the SEC are? Like everyone knows who the top five quarterbacks are. That, that everyone that's all Paul Feinbaum talks about. That's all ESPN talks about. You know what they're not talking about? Top five non-quarterback Heisman candidates. That this is the shit that I love. The nitty gritty, below the surface subjects. I love it. Peeling back the onion. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Get, get, getting to the second the second layer beneath the, the, the burnt top layer of a bowl. <laughs> exactly. Tuesday. Second. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I like to, I'll, we like to get to the Tuesday of the lists. <laughs> <laughs> well, a couple of reminders here. 
for halftime before we uh we move into a brief brief memorial for a former football player um just want to remind everybody still openings in the right hash fantasy football league free to join uh gift card as a prize um last year's returning champion is back so if you want to try and knock her off uh you can have your chance um and if you want bragging rights over your hosts uh, of this podcast and you finish higher than them you you absolutely get them so uh drop us a line on social media if you want to be part of that if you're looking to come back uh you're another returner from last year definitely let us know um we are uh, open to anybody here who wants to just play a fun fantasy football league not very serious not very uh we we are in a serious league uh unrelated to this show so we we, we just try to have fun uh with the right hash league and of course check out the right hosh we will have a, a show coming up in a few days English Premier League season is in full swing now. Uh, Liverpool's already uh, drawn against Chelsea. They have a point. Uh, so not, they're not going to get shut out on points this season, which, which is nice. But we'll have another show for, for you from the pitch uh, next uh, Sunday or Monday. So be on the lookout for that. But uh, on a, a less less positive note here at halftime, which is, I want to say rest in peace to Alex Collins, former Arkansas Razorback running back. We've talked about them in the first half. Uh, former Baltimore Raven, former Seattle Seahawk, and he he was he was a solid backup running back. I mean, he was a guy that you could plug in for fantasy, and he would get you you know ten to fifteen points sometimes. Um, it, tough off season for Arkansas with Ryan Mallett also uh, unexpectedly dying, and it's just it's just never good. You know, it was a motorcycle accident. Um, just want to advise everyone: be safe on the road, uh, whatever you motor vehicle you are operating, and just really really sucks for his teammates, his family. Uh, his former coaches, anybody who Alex Collins was a part of your life. That's just, we, we feel that pain. So just really, really sucks to hear ahead of the season. Uh, a, 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 he was, he wasn't even retired. Was he was a free agent? He was active, maybe looking to get on another roster. Um, but really just, yeah. just sucks. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. I don't, I don't have too much to add to that. I think you put it perfectly. Uh, he had some really, really fun years at Arkansas uh, during some not particularly fun times right. for the school. Um, but, you know, he, he was he was a guy that you turn on the TV after Thanksgiving and, you know, Alex Collins is the guy going crazy on Friday football, <laughs> uh, you know. I think he was part of that play. That crazy yep. play at Ole Miss where they yep. like had that lateral with that comeback. Yeah, that's he, that was going around social media. Yes, that that was him indeed. Him <laughs> indeed, the guy who ran it uh ran it in. So uh yeah, I mean it's it's tough whenever you lose someone like this, but um especially, you know, in, in this particular manner, someone this age, uh, you know, Luke, Luke and I both have unfortunate experience with this and uh, you know, just the Thoughts and prayers for whatever that's good. Thoughts and prayers with the family because it's not an easy thing to deal with. Halftime is over. Let's get back to the show. Third quarter action straight ahead right here on The Right Hash. And I uh, just wonder if Arkansas for their home opener might do a tribute video or something like that, both, both for Mallet and Collins that, that uh, that's probably something that we'll see. We'll see their, their video team do, but let's get back to talking here about actual football on the right hash, shifting to the NFL portion of our show here in the second half and another list 
uh, coming at you here in the third quarter. Top five NFL impact rookies, not necessarily ones that are going to have the best career, the longest career, but guys that we think are going to have the biggest impact on their teams this season alone. Um, and obviously probably top five rookie of the year candidates. I know they do that offense defense, um, but I'll go ahead and start with an obvious one uh, staying in Georgia, actually um, a team that has not drafted any Georgia players uh, in the first round and God knows how long, um, but the Atlanta Falcons took B. John Robinson, which was a very scrutinized pick because of the, I won't say controversy surrounding NFL running backs, but the re-examination of, of the running back position. And you're going to have Bijan for, you know, four or five years on a rookie deal. Um, and he was taken because this team needs a kick in the pants on the, on offense. Um, they, they just, this is, this offense has gone a little bit stale with Marcus Mariota at quarterback. They're sliding Desmond Ritter in now. Um, and because they have Desmond Ritter in his first full season as a starter, they're going to lean heavily, I think, on on the the running game. And this team's offensive line is built as a run-first offensive line. They're not as good in pass protection. I saw them against Washington last year. They, they were doing pretty good controlling the line of scrimmage against that Washington defensive line. And you know, B. John Robinson was taken at that as a running back at that position for for a reason. I wonder if we'll see more of that in, in the future, but I think he's going to have the kind of season that justifies the pick here. Could definitely see him running for over a thousand yards. And uh, it's just that that Falcons offense is going to be one to watch this year in, in a wide open division. Yeah. Really interesting player. I mean, just a really interesting concept uh, with, you know, rookie running backs. I remember the 2017 class of Cook, Kamara and McCaffrey just bursting onto the scene um, in 2017. And, I, I don't see any reason that Gibbs and um, Bijan can't do the same thing. I think the most curious, most interesting thing to monitor is how they manage the rotation of Tyler Algier, Cordero Patterson, and now Bijan Robinson. Um, you know, r- running back hasn't been a particular struggle for Atlanta, but they've known they haven't had, you know, quote unquote, the long term or. Uh, you know, maybe highest end option at running back. So you can understand why they took him. Um, that That's just going to be, to me, I think he's going to have as much impact as they need or let him have. Um, and I think, I think how well he progresses in pass blocking is going to be the big, uh, the, the biggest tell of that. If, if he's doesn't progress as a pass blocker, like you need to for the NFL, with as inexperienced of a quarterback as they have back there, I think you might see him on the sidelines a little bit more, but um, at the same time, you know, Cordero Patterson's great. You could have him running routes. You know, you could have him doing other things. You could have them lined up in two back sets and do some really interesting things. Um, Arthur Smith has kind of been one of the, the, the few fathers of this, you know, dual position, no real position, running back wide receiver type of guy. And B. John Robinson's a guy who could fit right into that role as well. So that's the most I'm looking forward to uh, for, for B. John is just how they use him and how much they get to use him. Okay. Um, do you have anything? Oh, no, go, go ahead. Okay. Uh, the first one that I have, uh, and I have this, I think, in order, um, Jordan Addison, wide receiver for the Vikings, uh, filling the void of uh, Adam Thielen, who – 
all all the metrics said he should have had a phenomenal season last year, but he's just you know he's he's aging out of production at that position, so they got rid of him. And Jordan Addison, you know, Bolitnikov winner from two years ago, uh, played at USC last year, first round pick this year for the Vikings, um, already having a really really good uh, rookie campaign. Uh, had a very nice preseason game the other night. Uh, opposite of Justin Jefferson, that guy is going to take two every time. It, that guy is taking two players with him every time, and you're going to have man coverage pretty much everywhere on the field. Uh, Kirk Cousins, extremely experienced quarterback. That guy can sling it. He can put it wherever he needs to. Um, and Jordan Addison is going to be a humongous benefactor of Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins. And I, you know, not, I, I'm trying not to get – too much into my uh my my fantasy football sleeper picks but um i would be absolutely shocked if jordan addison isn't a top two production wide receiver both in fantasy and in the actual nfl this year i think that's how good he's going to be it's him and jackson smith and jigba who's not on my list but um yeah he's going to be phenomenal and the the route share availability for him filling in for Thielen is unreal. So get ready for a humongous rookie season, I think, for Addison. I think you said it best when you brought up Kirk Cousins. I mean, it, it depends so much on who's throwing you the ball. Um, and yes. I think I think what you brought up in Smith and Jigba, too, is not on my list either. But if you were putting one of those wide receivers on, the determining factor is – Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback, I think, than Geno Smith. Not a not a by a landslide, but he is a better quarterback than Geno Smith. Definitely a better passer. So I I really like that pick too. I mean, he is a Jordan Addison, Justin Jefferson. Jordan Addison, say that five times fast. Just imagine oh. being a coach having to account for all both <laughs> of those guys and having to say those names to your defense over and over again. You're gonna start calling him by the numbers. I don't know what number he's gonna wear, but just cover number number nineteen. You know, like get your ass on nineteen. <laughs> J A and J J. Uh, but you know, also to Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, there's only one guy, in my opinion, above Addison on the roster in Minnesota where there's at least two above Njigba in Seattle with, with DK and, and Lockett. So um, just a, a, that's the reason I put Addison here. While I do believe Jackson Smith and Jigba is a better receiver head-to-head, the, scenario, the, the situation for Addison is better right now than yeah, Njigba. Just yeah. in terms of instant, like Luke said, Instant impacts. I I anticipate JSN being the better receiver long term this year. Jordan Addison is going to be the guy to watch. Yeah, one hundred percent. I'll go to my second pick, um, and it comes from the Las Vegas Raiders. And actually, I had this guy going about where he went. Um, he went a few picks, few picks discrepancy. I had him going to the Green Bay Packers, who, who needed a tight end after Robert Tanyan departed for Chicago. Uh, but this is also a team that needed a wide receiver after trading, da- or excuse me, needed a tight end after trading Darren Waller to the Giants. And that's Michael Mayer with the Las Vegas Raiders, solid blocker, no- Notre Dame tight end. Those guys, you know, those guys do fine in the league. You've got Cole Komet, who I think is a rising star with the Chicago Bears. This guy comes right from that system. Um, like I said, great blocker. Going to be the guy, you know, he's going to be the guy at that position this year, kind of like a Kyle Pitts was in Atlanta as a rookie. Uh, because he's replacing somebody who was so essential to that offense. So I really liked this guy. He was a dark horse to wind up in Washington because we were 
uh, we were rumored to maybe be in the market for a tight end in the draft. But uh, and that's a reason why I want to see how well he does, because I want to say, see, should we have drafted this guy or should we have gone with with who we went with? And uh, in Emmanuel Forbes, uh, who was also not on my list, uh, by the way, didn't didn't go with any homers. Uh, uh, actually, I do have one homer pick on this one. It's not who you might think. Um, but yeah, man, uh, Michael Mayer is uh just a, 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 the 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 system he comes from really carries a lot of weight with me. Uh, there are some schools, some positions from some schools like Penn State and running backs where you just fit in in the NFL. Defensive backs in LSU and tight ends in Notre Dame is one of them to me. Uh, the the uh, I lost my train of thought there, kind of rambling on about Mayer, but uh, filling in Darren Waller's shoes gonna gonna be tough in that offense and gonna be tough because he doesn't know what the hell he's got at quarterback. Um, but Really, really like the type of raw tight end that Michael Mayer is. Agreed. And while while I have my hesitancies about Jimmy G as a quarterback overall, uh, one thing I can't deny is Jimmy Garoppolo fucking loves throwing to tight ends. Uh, so that line, I mean, that there is nothing standing in the way of Michael Mayer having a successful first year. They might not win anything, but he he has the blueprint. Everything is right out in front of him for him to come in and immediately rack up yards, rack up receptions, rack up touchdowns. Um, like I said, Garoppolo loves, loves tight ends and Waller being out. Uh, uh, do they, do they still have Foster Moreau? I don't remember. Um, no, he, but, he went to the saints. He went to the saints this off season. Gotcha. Good place for a guy named Moreau, by the way. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> even knowing that information now, that makes me even more excited about him. So, hey, you're kind of if you're going zero tight end strategy in fantasy, snag Michael Mayer back there before you start picking up defenses. And uh, if you're in a PPR league, this dude could be sneaky, very very sneaky. Uh, great pick, Luke. Um, I, I am also going to a tight end for my second pick, uh, Dalton Kincaid for the Bills, and it has been. Since Charles Clay has been there, it has been kind of the running tongue-in-cheek joke uh, that the Bills just, for whatever reason, aren't prioritizing or can't find a consistent franchise tight end to pair with, with Josh Allen. And I think they have that now. I don't have a whole lot to say about Kincaid, but he walks into an extreme, uh, a nuclear-level offense um, with – uh, several running backs. Well, uh, I guess that's factoring in Naheem Hines, but he's not going to play this year. But they, they have James Cook, and then they have Diggs. They have uh, Gabe Davis on the outside. There's there's a lot of players who are already going to be taking a lot of, of heat, uh, a lot of coverage with them. Kincaid walks into, I mean, especially the type of tight end he is. He's a lot more of a receiver then Michael Mayer, just to give you some contrast between the two, Mayer is still going to get a lot of a lot of touches just because of everything around him. But Kincaid, I think, is going to get um, a lot, just a lot more induction into the offense immediately. I think he's going to be more of a focal point, just because what tight ends mean today. The interesting things you can do with them, the the matchups that you can get on them. And pairing him with a guy who likes to get and scramble out of the pocket as much as Josh Allen does, it, it's just a match made in heaven. I think it's immediately going to be one of the better hookups in the entire league. Uh, so Dalton Kincaid at number two for me. 
Yeah, he was. We both had him. If you remember our draft preview, we both had him going to Dallas. Um, and this was like the next yep. logical destination after after that. And uh, Dalton, not Dalton Kincaid, Dawson Knox, another another great couple of names. But uh, yeah, that's it. Seems like oh, other than Washington, Buffalo is the team that has the most question marks at tight end or had the most question marks at tight end. And they, they actually addressed that position in the draft. Um, so they come to Washington week three. Um, he could, could be a coming out party there for uh, for Dalton Kincaid. We'll, we'll see. Uh, but speaking of Washington, my third is an undrafted rookie. I'm glad I got an undrafted guy on this list because he's going to carve out a niche for himself as a return man on this team. That's Kaz Allen out of UCLA. Um, real small guy, small shifty water bug type dude. Uh, but in the first preseason game against Cleveland, he had a couple nice returns, real great vision, great speed. Uh, just th- this Antonio Gibson as the kickoff returner never really panned out last season. Um, this team has struggled to find a consistent return presence, which I think I still think that is an essential part of football. You know, with field position, th- as good as punters are getting this, this in this era, guys can boom kicks, outkick their coverage more. There's more opportunities, I think, for punt returns and having like a Dante Hall type guy on your team, a Devin Hester type guy on your team is still a really big advantage. And so often you find these guys outside of the draft. You find them as UDFAs. You know, Brandon Banks was another guy about 10 years ago, 10 to 12 years ago, undrafted out of Kansas State, stuck on the roster as a return man, was about five foot eight, but he carved himself a niche on this roster. And I think Kaz Allen is going to do that right now. Uh, I, I'm really excited to see more of him in the next two preseason games. I, I think he's going to make the roster. He won't get sent to the practice squad. And have, having who I think could be a dangerous return man is is, is a game changer for Washington's offense this year. Uh, re- really excited. Didn't really know much about him going into camp, but he, he's he's one of those one of those camp crushes, man. Really, really liked what I've seen from him. And if he, I mean, if he proves himself in being able to handle some punt return duties. You've got Eric Bieniemy, who comes from a system that just looks for explosive players to put the ball in their hands and wouldn't be surprised if he winds up, uh, you know, having some offensive impact, uh, you know, middle way towards the end of the season, just as he gets into it uh, and gets a little bit more comfortable with, with handling the football. Uh, I have absolutely nothing else to say about him only because I don't really know a whole lot. Um, other than what you've said or just what I've seen kind of on Twitter in passing. But um, if, if, if you're saying he's, he has a chance to have instant impacts, I'm taking that to the bank. Uh, <laughs> you, you and my buddy Nasser are typically uh, maybe a little bit more pessimistic on guys initially coming in, not, not saying you're down downers, but it's one of those, like, I need to see it before I believe it because I've been told so-and-so is going to be like the next greatest thing since, sliced bread so many times and I just need to see it. Um, so y- you having uh, maybe some high praise or, or expectations of this guy, uh, I-, I think says all you need to say. Well, most of my praise is high praise, but yeah, man, I'm yeah. I, we, we, <laughs> we, when we have, when we have Armand on here, when, whenever we do before the season, we'll, we'll talk to him about kind of more guys like that. Uh, really. Yeah. I, I would like to hear his thoughts on cause Allen too. Um. I have a Jag on my list. I'm going to do that after this one. Uh, my my third guy I have here, another South Carolina tie to this freaking show. I'm so tired of this. Um, why do I why do I do this to myself? Uh, Cam Smith, corner for the Dolphins. Um, 
you know, one of those guys that we talked about last year during the draft, maybe being a mid-round first pick. Uh, just the way the draft went, the way the position went, fell to the, uh, you know, to the second day, wound up with the Dolphins. And I honestly, I wouldn't have him here, but then Jalen Ramsey gets hurt. And now they need a guy. They have to have a guy play. They're, they've sunk so much money into this defense. It can't be bad. Um, hope, hope, you know, he, he got sidelined with a little bit of a, a shoulder injury that's going to keep him out a couple of weeks. That being said, um, you know, he's not going to be the number one corner. He's not going to be Jalen Ramsey's actual replacement, but he he's he's going to play because everyone else moved up a slot. Um, so I, I, I think he's going to play. Is it going to be hard to beat out um, Ig- Igbenogane and a- Apple, Eli Apple, freaking Eli Apple? Um, yes, he, he is better than both of them, I think. Um if he's healthy, I think he's the guy and he's going to be a key portion of this Dolphins team. I think he's going to make an instant impact. The reason I think it's going to be an instant impact this year is because next year, you know, Jalen Ramsey should be back. Granted, Cam Smith will have a lot of experience and should push for playing time, but they just have a log jam at defensive back for the Dolphins. And Jalen Ramsey getting hurt was kind of the foot in the door Cam Smith needed and he's got that uh he's he did it at he was the best defensive back in the sec last year uh if you're that yeah you're gonna be fine um so i've got i've got cam smith at number three there for the dolphins i think that no it's not my only defensive player so stay tuned yeah i have a defensive player on my list as well uh he's he's uh last chronologically on the list so i'll save him and he's he's a player of one of our friends of the program on a team of one of our friends of the program too. So I'll, I'll save him for last. And my fourth one is also another guy, another player because his team needs a guy at this position. Uh, Kayshawn Boutte, the aforementioned Kayshawn Boutte out of LSU for the new England Patriots and Mac Jones now entering his third season as the starter in new England. This is kind of feel like it's kind of put up or shut up time for him under Bill Belichick. Uh, we know he's not going to be the next Tom Brady, uh, but the, Patriots wide receiving core leaves a little bit to be desired. Um, you've got Kendrick Bourne, Juju Smith-Schuster, Devontae Parker, Ty Montgomery, Tyquan Thornton. And, and then you're looking at Kayshawn Boutte, the, the new guy on the block. And wide receiver is a position where rookies can often have profound impacts on the offense. I go back to 2019 and Terry McLaurin being the best player on Washington's offense from the start of the season in in 2019, his rookie year. So not surprising to see receivers do that. He was drafted lower than McLaurin's sixth round to McLaurin's third round, but just a very similar situation where you don't have a lot, you know, Juju's a good receiver. He's not a great receiver in my opinion. You know, you don't have a great receiver on this roster. And, you know, we mentioned they lost Johnny Smith uh, to, to Atlanta. So another pass catcher off that roster that, uh, the Patriots offense just needs an identity. And I feel like this could be a fresh injection uh, of identity for the Patriots offense. Say nothing of his fantastic name. I mean, Kayshawn Boutte. I mean, you've got Boutte and then in Denver, you've got Jerry Judy. If they ended up on the same team, you've got big Boutte Judy. Okay. I, I would laugh, but it's, it's not the first time I've heard that one from. I know stuff. I make that one on. I make that one on this show all the time. <laughs> yes. Yes. But it's a knee slapper for anyone who hasn't heard it before. 
<laughs> I, I, I like him there as, I mean, as you said, you, you went down that list and they just added Zeke Elliott as well. And I'm sitting here thinking that sounds like a 2019 fantasy team that missed the playoffs is what new England has amassed there this year. Um, I also think it's going to be zappy hour for, uh, for new England, which I think works in Butte's favor. Um, I had to get confirmation on how his name is pronounced because during the Tennessee game, the announcers called him Booty the whole time. Kayshawn Booty. Uh, like like well, John David or well, General. Well, LSU played like Booty in that game, so that's probably why they did. I I, th- I think we just played amazing. I think that's what it yeah, was. That was. That was like the anti-South Carolina game from last year. That that was at 11 o'clock in Baton Rouge. Like that, <laughs> Those people are not used to waking up that early. No. Like the, the jambalaya is not even... Uh, to a boil yet at that point. <laughs> um, so definitely uh, in favor there. He had a horrible game too, but he is by far and away the most talented receiver on that roster. And that is, I'm taking into account that Devonte Parker is there, that Juju Smith Schuster is there. He is a freak of nature. Go watch some of his high school tape. It is a travesty that he did absolutely nothing at LSU, but he's talented enough to be, a number one wide receiver in the NFL. Good, good pick by them. Uh, surprising. It, it was kind of a surprising pick because the Patriots don't go for that type of player very often. Um, I don't know how it's going to work because they're trying to run an offense from like 1993. Uh, but instant impact is one thing I would call him. They are going to need him. Yeah, no doubt. There's yeah. No doubt is what I was just about to say. No doubt. <laughs> They're going to need him. Ain't no bow um, to doubt it. <laughs> no booty duty. Uh, so my fourth one here, not a homer pick, but just Anton Harrison, first round pick, offensive tackle for the Jaguars. Uh, right before the draft, Cam Robinson goes and gets suspended for four games for PEDs and our whole draft changed because we were one of those teams that I felt sure was going to be taking a tight end in the first round. Uh, Cam Robinson gets suspended. We pick Anton Harrison. I like him. He's looked really, really, really good in the scrimmages. He looked good in the preseason game. Uh, I feel very strong about him. Um, and he he's going to be instant impact. So much so that if he plays well enough, I mean, Walt, Walker Little had a really good last year. Um, Walker's going to kick over to left tackle. Anton's playing right tackle. If both of them play well enough, there's a very legitimate scenario where we don't see a whole lot of Cam Robinson this year. Um, if, if Anton just comes out of the gates playing really well, and not 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 only is he going to be an instant impact, this is a humongous position of need. Just keeping Trevor Lawrence upright. If you give Trevor Lawrence a solid flat platform to throw from, this guy is as accurate as any quarterback currently in the NFL. Um, Though two, one of the biggest issues the last two years has been not having enough time to get his feet set and a good platform. He's not a particularly amazing thrower on the run. Um, he doesn't try to be that really. And Anton Harrison is going to do a great job and going to be key to keeping Trevor upright. So I, I think he's someone we're talking about at the end of the year. Um, you know, offensive linemen don't get a lot of, uh, you know, praise, but Every once in a while, we have an offensive lineman make a Pro Bowl. And I think out of this year's class, Anton Harrison has about as good a chance as Skaronsky or any of the other guys just because he, he is immediate playtime on a very good offense already. So 
there's my fourth guy. And we, and we had to have an offensive lineman on here between the two of us. I mean, it wouldn't be the right hash if we didn't. I yeah, the the big hog mollies deserve. Well, I mean, what when is the day going to come that we have a non QB Heisman as an offensive lineman? That's what that's what we really need. We're talking about equality so much in America, equality for offensive linemen in the in the Heisman race. Offensive uh, I, linemen matter. I I, I want to see a Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, I just want to see an O lineman in New York for for the for the trophy. Oh yeah, um, dressed up in a suit. Like a suit that's twenty times bigger than everyone else's suit. <laughs> Maybe we'll send Michael Orr back. Um. Anyway, we'll get, we'll get into that another day. <laughs> yeah, that could be a, that could be a that could be a whole show for sure. Maybe, <laughs> it could Maybe be we'll film critique. I could blend over into film critique for me with the Blind Side. <laughs> check out my uh... movie pod. Check out my movie podcast. No, I'm just just kidding. I don't have time for that. <laughs> oh man. Um. But yeah, offensive lineman. Th- think an offensive lineman today. Just like think a veteran or think a linesman. Think an offensive lineman. <laughs> My last one is, oh, I guess a defensive lineman uh, and an edge rusher. Um, and he follows in, in a long line of edge rushers that have been impactful for this team. The Denver Broncos, of course, our voiceover guy, Zach Burhands. Broncos fan really, really has a lot of optimism about Russell Wilson this season. Um, not, not really, because fuck Russell Wilson. But Drew Sanders is going to be plugged in as an edge rusher in Denver. And this is another one of those positions where rookie, it doesn't matter what you know, if you're a rookie, if you've got it, you've got it. And I think Drew Sanders has got it. Uh, you know, Bradley Chubb, not there anymore. Von Miller has come and gone. He could be the next in that line. He could be that next really feared pass rusher uh, that Denver has defined themselves on defense with uh, over the last couple of decades. So um, this was a, uh, this was, Another pick. This is an, Ar- an Arkansas guy. A lot, a lot of Arkansas mentions on this show. Um, I, I wanted to have a defensive guy on on, on my list too. Um, so I wanted to, to balance it out a little bit. So that's that's sort of why I picked him. But it, it, it's going to be going to be an edge rusher this year who probably wins defensive rookie of the year. Um, like like that's been trending in the past. I've seen this guy compared to Micah Parsons a lot. Not sure how he compares like in in size and speed and whatnot. Just the the kind of player that he is. That that Swiss Army knife uh, in the front seven. So uh, really really like uh, really like the Drew Sanders pick for Denver. So he he earned a spot on this list for me. This, this out of all the lists, this is my favorite pick that you've made. Not to talk about down about any of the other ones. This is my favorite pick that you've made. Go back and listen to our preseason from last year, and you know some of the midseason stuff. Drew Sanders is the guy that I talked about the most in the SEC outside of a Tennessee player. Uh, just plays that game the the way that we grew up watching football played. It's it's funny because people will will definitely give me like. You know the 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 head tilt that a dog does when it doesn't quite know what's going on. People will give me a head tilt for this comparison, but he reminds me a lot of Troy Palamalu, and I can't explain it. But he just flies around. He has no regard for his own life or anyone else's. Is instinctive, and that that's mostly what Troy Palamalu is, and maybe that's what I feel with Drew Sanders. But he is just instinctive. The guy flies to the football. Um, I, I I hope for his sake that Denver is not an absolute laughing stock because he is a lot of fun to watch. And I think he's going to be one of those guys that, you know, maybe he'll never make a pro bowl, but he reminds me of, you know, Alex Anzalone for the, for the lions. Uh, he's just going to, he's a tackling machine. 
uh, knows for the football, and it translates everywhere he's been, everything he's done. If he cannot get hurt, he will have an extremely good NFL career. And in week two, he gets that Washington offensive line that has so many question marks as the, the commanders travel to Mile High Stadium for the second game of the season. So Zach and I will be several beers deep. Uh, well, you know, maybe, maybe three or four beers deep each. We won't, we won't go too crazy in week two, but Drew Sanders got to be looking at his chops going up against that offensive line. Um, kind of, kind of worried about that. That we, we get Arizona in week one. That's kind of, kind of a warm up. Uh, but, but uh, then, then kind of ratchets up with Denver and Buffalo in weeks two and three. But yeah, gotta, I'm going to get a good look at Drew Sanders early on in the season. Six, five, 235. You know, he, he plays actually smaller than he is, which, it might sound like a backhanded compliment, but I really mean it as a compliment. He's very fluid, very agile all around the field. Um, but he's he's a big he's a big dude. Um, so great pick there. And then I am also for my fifth pick, going with a defensive player of a friend of the show. Um, we're headed to Detroit. Uh Brian Branch, strong safety slash nickel corner uh for the Lions. Yeah, uh, this was the guy that was the best safety in the draft, and it was just about finding the team that could use a pick, a high pick on a safety. And Detroit wound up doing it. Detroit did a lot to shore up their defensive backfield in free agency, picking up Emmanuel Mosley and Cam Sutton, both balls, by the way. Uh, but they also have C.J. Gardner-Johnson there as well, who was tabbed to play safety. But as well as Brian Branch has been playing, in practice and in the, you know, uh, combined practice with the Jaguars. This is also one of the reasons he's on this list. He has been getting freaking amazing reviews. You would think this guy had been playing for years. Um, turns out Nick Saban knows what he's doing with defensive backs. I had no idea. Color me shocked. Um, I, I think he's, he's going to let CJ Gardner Johnson play his natural corner spot. Um, it probably shifts the corners around a little bit. They're going to have a lot more flexibility on the back end. And Dan Campbell is already a really, really, really good defensive coordinator, defensive coach. But now he's got toys. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of what the Jets were last year in the defensive backfield, where you just you couldn't throw on them. And they had so many toys for their defensive-minded head coach. And Brian Branch just, you know, no pun intended, fell out of the Alabama tree right into Dan Campbell's lap. Um, and it, he's – I, I want to hear what Connor thinks. Like I said, the Jags and Lions have had this combined practice the last couple of days. Um, and between Brian Branch and C.J. Gardner-Johnson, I don't ever want to see either one of their names written down in paper again because they've had so many plays, so many so-and-so broke up a pass, so-and-so is chirping with Brian Branch and, and C.J. Um, but just – that's what you want out of a defensive player. And I think Brian Branch is going – has a very good chance to win defensive player of the year. Uh, uh, defensive rookie of the year. Sorry. Rookie. Yeah, this was a guy I had – I had, he, did he go in the first round? Uh, to, I believe top of the second. Yeah, so I had him going in the first round. I Same. remember on our on our uh, our draft predictions. Um, and it was like, when he didn't go in the first round, I was like, he's not going to be there long tomorrow. He's he not, not. going to be a long time before somebody grabs him. Glad he went to Detroit. Glad Connor gets to to have him on, on, on his team. But And I'm also glad that Washington doesn't play Detroit this year because uh, that, that's a wide open division too. I mean, that's that's a, I'm not going to say that's anybody's division to lose. Um, and any four of those teams, I think, could could pop up and 
claim the uh, claim the host hosting a playoff game uh, no, in, in the, that division. The, so the, the Bears are not. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. No. Just although the the, we'll, the, we'll, the Bears we'll have a better chance than the Packers, but yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying, man. It's just it's it's there's no there's no one team that you can say is gonna win, you know, gonna gonna be the favorite in that division. I mean, there's a decent amount of people picking the Lions. Uh, oh, the, the Lions are my makes, favorites. Yeah, it's probably probably makes Connor nervous. <laughs> I mean the, the the Lions should be the the favorite. Yeah, I would say. Kind of like NC State, though. You're you're almost you're almost too afraid to believe, <laughs> just because uh, of what you've experienced over well, the years. But then yes, again, I'm not a Lions fan. But I, to to me, I baked that into my expectations. And what when you have a team that is drafted at the top of drafts a lot, but also drafted really well, done well in free agency, has that quarterback that's been around and been good, won a Super Bowl. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 different to me than you know, just right now claiming the Jets are going to be good. That The yeah, Jets haven't been that. doing this long enough for me to say for sure they're going to be good. The Lions, yes, we saw some of it last year with them. That They had the best offense in the NFL last year. I, I Like, per, per play, they had the best offense in the NFL. Yeah. Um, Lose DeAndre that, Swift, replace him with Jameer Gibbs. Uh, and David Montgomery. Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot. I, I knew he left Chicago. I forgot where he went. Yeah. Uh I mean they they have um the the new tight end there is also really good. You, we I, it's a drop off from Hawkinson, but for what they turned it into, they turned it into Brian Branch plus the tight end that they had last year. Um so I, not that this is what this is about, but I I for one am extremely high on the Lions this year. Yeah, Shout out I, Connor Lilly. Yeah, absolutely. One of one of the OGs. He's one of the right hash OGs. Man, he's, he was. He, I think he might have been the first guest we had. Maybe Armand was the first guest, but he's uh, definitely one of the most consistent. One of our one of our biggest fans on social media. He's he's really funny on on Twitter too. But give give Connor a yeah. follow at Lily Connor L L L I L L E Y C O N N O R. If especially if you like self deprecating Detroit sports humor, that that is a that is his forte uh, on on the Bird app. I know it's not the Bird app anymore, but I'm gonna keep calling it that. As uh, we, not Matt Forte though. <laughs> as we hit the end of the third quarter here in episode five, season three of the Right Hash, and we're done with the lists here. Three down, one to go. We go to the fourth quarter, right here on the Right Hash. It feels good to be a uh, quarter number four. We'll just kind of cool down a little bit. We're not going to go in the hot box. We're not going to go in the grinder. Although I guess this could be could qualify, but uh, we didn't really uh, we didn't really set it up ahead of time as as the grinder. Um, but some some potpourri here uh, with a little bit of a, a baseball debate. But uh, quickly, NFL transactions. There was one significant one involving uh, the team. Alex just mentioned the New York Jets. Finally, Dalvin Cook has a home uh, signing with the Jets. I think just one season or one year contract, um, but they're 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 going all in. This is kind of an all eggs in the the twenty twenty three basket season for the Jets uh, with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback and the the defense the Jets have. Um, you know, you know, he's signing on the offensive side of the ball, but the Jets the Jets defense I think primed for a breakout this season under Robert Sala, and uh, just an, another one of in, in that line of declining running backs. Guys are taking flyers. You know, the Patriots took a flyer on Ezekiel Elliott, another one of those signings who I think is going to have less of an impact with his team than Dalvin Cook is going to have with the Jets. But 
Brees Hall coming off an injury. Uh, I, I we'll see how long it takes for him to get back to form, but this, this is a, I think a good pickup for the jets um, in, in the short term. It's very obvious. They're going for win now mode. Um, and, and it really liked Brees Hall last year. So it just provides a nice compliment. I think. Absolutely. And until a couple years ago, the two best players in the NFC North are now on the jets, Dalvin cook and Aaron Rodgers. Um, uh, per- perfect. I mean, just how much more perfect could it have set up? You know, obviously you don't want Brees Hall to get injured, but now you have Dalvin Cook on a one-year contract, no obligation past this year. You're probably still married to Brees Hall long-term as far as long-term running backs go, um, but you don't have to rush him back. You don't have to put him on that ACL early. Um, you can you can let him sit this year probably. They're not going to, but, um, you know – he's going to have limited touches and that's going to be by design. That's going to be excellent for his recovery and his, you know, getting back into the league, getting back up to the level he was playing at. And then on top of that, you just, you add freaking Dalvin cook um, for $7 million. This is why no one's paying running backs what they want. This is why uh, Austin Eckler is going to be mad. This is why Jonathan Taylor is not going to get $16 million. This is why, uh, Zeke got let go. This is why I think it was even dumb to franchise tag Tony Pollard because you're paying Tony Pollard almost four million dollars more than the Jets are paying Dalvin Cook. Um, I mean the the downside for Dalvin is he does get banged up every once in a while, but um, otherwise, I mean, perfect signing for the Jets. That they're legitimately, I don't think, was a better fit for them in terms of just in solving an immediate need. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was the team that he was always kind of rumored to be, to be headed to so much that somebody tweeted, can't wait to see Dalvin cook get or reject the jets offer on hard knocks, which was then picked up by the freezing cold <laughs> takes Twitter account, uh, which was very funny to see. I think yesterday that, that came up, uh, but uh, Zeke, Zeke in a uh, Zeke in new England, that's probably also going to be a one-year thing just because I, I think he's on his way out of the league. All those uh, offensive line jokes, all the, the fat jokes, of course. Um, I, I, if there's anybody who can figure out how to get the, the last little bit of juice out of somebody, it's Bill Belichick. But I, I definitely think, uh, I definitely think Ezekiel Elliott is going to be second or third option behind who new England already has. And, you know, we've kind of talked about their offense a little bit, uh, but just kind of tying up, uh, tying up some, some loose ends with off season signings. And I, I, I don't, have you seen these, these before we get into our final little baseball debate, like the, have you seen these been seeing these fights in a, in practice? Like I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of radio people and media people have been kind of bitching about this, but I, I really like the energy from these joint practices guys kind of getting their dirty laundry out before the season starts. Um, you know, we've already had one injury because of a fight. Washington's Danny Johnson has a strained rotator cuff after being body slammed by Baltimore's Mark Andrews. Uh, but it's like three or four different joint practices. We've seen guys just kind of throwing hands. And we've talked about this on a couple of shows. Like, this is kind of what we want to see at the beginning of the year. Guys, shows you care, man. It shows teams that fight give a shit. Um, and it, it's it's just better to see than the kind of going through the motions that that you would normally see in a joint practice or, or a preseason game. As you all heard my take on fighting in camp uh, last week, I, I am for fighting with your own team in camp. So I am sure as hell here for you fighting with another team in camp. Bring, bring me some of that Andre Johnson, Cortland Finnegan 
stuff during camp. Uh, that that's penalties don't matter there. There's no fines. Maybe a maybe a thousand dollar here or there just for I don't know shits and giggles. But um, yeah, if you're not fighting in a combined practice at least once a day, your your team's gonna suck. Your team is absolutely gonna suck. No one wants to be there. No one cares. No no one is. You don't have any good shit talkers on your team. Like even if you suck, you can shit talk your way into a fight in an NFL camp. Um, and if you're not getting in any fights, your team is screwed. Like unfollow them. Do not buy Sunday ticket this year. Uh, you know, just just watch your locals. Go to the bar and watch someone else play. Your team's gonna suck. Um, the 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 Jags and Lions have have had some fisticuffs. There's been a lot of jawing, and that's especially for both of those franchises that warms my heart that that is those are two franchises that have been so together in sadness that it is fun not just being a jaguars fan but watching franchises like the jaguars like the lions on the come up right there on the cusp of i think coming into that pretty cemented next echelon of competing for their division every year type of team at least while they had those quarterbacks. So I love, I love a practice fight, um, especially when it's against another team, especially mm-hmm. when it's against another team. I just like the term joint practice. sounds like what I'm going to do after the show. No, I, I'm mid-season on that one. There's no practice. <laughs> we talk about practice. No, we're talking about mid-season form. We were talking, yeah, we were talking about practice a couple, couple of shows ago. At least, <laughs> at least I was in the hot box. But, um, we'll about have, finish, finish off this, uh, this episode of the right hash by just touching on the baseball field a little bit. This is an interesting debate here um, that Alex brought up, and the Atlanta Braves, of course, are the best team in the Major League Baseball this year. It's going to be them versus the Orioles in the World Series. Going to be great. Going to be some Let's entertainment, entertainment in the middle of, uh, in the middle of football season, but. Ronald Acuna Jr. and Matt Olson both having MVP cal- caliber seasons. Um, Braves have all their pitching back, uh, which finally makes them less beatable than they already were. Um, and it just we 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 decided to kind of just kind of this is this is more open ended. We're not really predicting here, but Ronald Acuna Jr. versus Matt Olson MVP debate. You know who would be more deserving based on what they bring to the table with the Braves. Acuna on the base paths, Olsen's consistency with hitting balls out of the park. We were just kind of, we just kind of a kind of a food for thought at the end of the uh, the end of the show here. What is more conducive to an MVP in this league? And I, I don't know, I'll kind of open the floor here since I, I I've got a little bit written down, but interested to hear your your thoughts on this. You being, you know, being able to see more Braves Braves games than I do, uh seeing these players play more and what they mean to the team. But uh, I'm, I'll just start by saying I'm a really big Matt Olson fan, and uh, I, I'm I'm really glad he's made everybody forget about Freddie Freeman because I was really getting annoyed with people whining about how they lost Freddie Freeman, and you know Matt Olson has been just as good, if if not not better. Yeah, um, and j- just to give you the guys the you know I, I guess honest the the catalyst of this conversation, um, you know just with projections, it's looking like Matt Olson is going to be in the 55 home run, 150 RBI territory at the end of the season, leading the net, leading the majors in both of those stats right now. Um, Ronald Acuna Jr. right now is on pace for 37, maybe 40 homers if he if he really cranks a couple out, um, and uh, 70 70 bags, maybe 75. Um, you know what we talk about 
every season, I mean, Ronald was on 40-40 watch last year, and now he's on 40-70 watch this year. And I, you know, it, it wasn't even one of those things where I, I have, I don't even know if I have a personal opinion on it, but I just kind of posed to Luke, like, if Matt Olson has 150 RBIs and 55 home runs, Ronald Acuna has 40 home runs and 70 swipes, who wins the MVP? Bo- both of those guys sh- uh, uh, should win the MVP in, in that scenario. And that's, I mean, it's kind of where we are right now. It's it's Acuna, Freddie, and Matt Olson for the National League MVP. Um, and I, for me, I, I've got Olson above Freddie. Just our RBIs and home runs are a lot more impressive, and I think he's a better defender than Freddie too. Um, I, no offense to Freddie, you know, we, we all have major love. I I still wear my Freddie jersey. There is no love lost. It is sadness that I mostly feel about Freddie not being here, but um, Matt Olson has patched over that just with absolute bomb after bomb after bomb. Um, I don't know what I, I honestly don't know what I would pick um, while watching the games. It is so hard to put a value on a guy who can get walked in the first inning and basically start on second. It If Ronald Acuna gets on base, you're start, you're practically starting with a guy on second. It's, it's pretty much, the the extra innings rule. Ronald Acuna Jr. is almost always just default on second. He's got picked off a couple of times this year or, you know, just had a ball bounce the wrong way. Don't get me wrong. He's not 100% on swipes, but you don't get 55 bags because you get caught a lot. Um, pretty much anytime he's on base, he takes an extra one. Um, and he's one of the reasons why the team RBI total is so high. He is the leadoff guy. He is always on base. He's always in position um matt olson on the other hand was hitting second um and had a little bit of a slump right around the all-star game um snit moved him to fifth and now he leads the majors and rbis and and home runs and part of that is because there's more guys hitting in front of him sure uh but He's swinging the bat like nobody else it looked like shohei was gonna run away with the home runs this year and then matt olson I mean, he's put 20 home runs out in the, like what, like the last two months and overtaken Shohei. Um, and he leads the majors in multi-home run games. Uh, him and Austin Riley have gone back-to-back five times this year. The major league record, I think, is six, so there's a good chance that they can uh, knock that off their list too. I, I, I'm kind of rambling because I don't, I don't know what I would pick. Luke, do, do you? I, I know that, I know that you picked one, but do you stand firm on either one of those? So I, I, what leans me in Olsen's favor is the rule changes from this season. You know, the, you can only disengage twice. You can only throw over bat, over to first twice. That makes it way easier to steal bases. Not that Ronald Acuna wouldn't be stealing bases anyway. It just I think that is going to alter the perception of these stolen base numbers in the first few years of these rule changes. I mean, I, I just the, the the consistency from Matt Olson. Just he's like a static character in a movie. You know what you're gonna get. You know he's gonna bomb one out every couple games. Um, and the 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 case for Acuna though is, you know, the the intangibles. You know, he's the guy you're seeing the highlights of on social media, and you know, people saying Acuna Matata when he hits a home run, uh, or maybe that's just my friends who do that. <laughs> but uh, and just him being at the top of the lineup and being that that catalyst for the offense, but. I ultimately think when you look at the numbers, people are going to go, 
you know, the, the Matt Olson's numbers are a little bit more organic because you don't have rule changes that make it easier to hit home runs. I, I think, um, so whereas you do have rule changes that make it easier to steal bases. So if they finished with a comparable number of home runs and you're looking at RBI versus stolen bases, I think you swing it in the favor of RBIs there just for uh, just solely because of those rule changes. And, you know, it, it's still fun to watch still, still a great asset to the offense, but in terms of these crotchety old fucks who vote on the MVP, I think that's how they're going to look at it. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. Um, it, it's, it's an interesting case, um, which is why I brought it up because of, you can make arguments either way. Um, something that is almost just off the page, uh, just a completely non-paper factor is what Matt Olson has done for the franchise in terms of being able to get over Freddie Freeman. Um, you know, it, go, go back and watch Freddie's return to, to Atlanta. And he, I mean, he bawled his eyes out every chance he had that that's, that's what Atlanta felt about him as well. And Matt Olson has come in here in year two and done it, done better than Freddie had. If, if I'm just being honest, he doesn't have the batting average. Um, you know, he's probably 40, 50 points behind Freddie, but other than that, Matt Olson is a better power hitter. He's a better defender. Um, he's also a lefty, which, you know, I, I think it, most first basemen are, but it's, it's always nice to, to keep that the same as well. Um, I, I, I would almost, I would almost have to give it to Matt Olson just because he kind of came in here with Atlanta against him as well. If I'm, if I'm being just as honest as I can, the city of Atlanta did not want Matt Olson. They wanted Freddie Freeman and it happened. The, the way that it happened was just like matter of fact, split second, the the moment we found out Freddie was out was this was when we traded for Matt Olson. That there wasn't any spoiler, there wasn't any sources. It was right then, and it was like it was a gut punch to everybody. Just won a World Series, and now our franchise player who drug us to this moment is just gone. It just kicked out the door, and Matt Olson being able to not only stick through that first year, but become one of the fan favorites is not being talked about enough. He's also an Atlanta kid. He's, he's from the area. He's from Georgia. Um, and that there's just, he's quiet. He's goofy. He's very awkward. He doesn't have, he's nothing like Freddie Freeman in terms of his personality. And he, he's, he's just, he, he is, he has exceeded every single expectation and he is at the point where he has exceeded the guy who he's replacing. And to me, that is just enough to put him over Ronald Acuna Jr. That if I was a better, I mean, if I was a voter and those two guys are my top candidates, I'm voting Matt Olson one, Ronald Acuna two. And he just seems like the, he's like a guy, like a regular guy who just happens to be really good at baseball. Like in the off season, he's probably that dude who wakes up, puts on his, his like robe and slippers, 
brews some coffee, <laughs> goes out, goes out, says hello to the neighbor and grabs the newspaper. And like you can see him cutting his lawn on a Saturday afternoon. And he's just, he's, he's like a guy. I don't know if he has kids or not, but he just seems like a dad who's like really good at baseball <laughs> as opposed to Freddie Freeman, who is like a guy who like eats, sleeps and drinks. He's like a baseball player through and through. Like he just, I, you see him and you're just like, that guy's a baseball player. You look at Matt Olson, you're like, that guy could be my next door neighbor, but he's also really, really, really good at baseball. I mean, I'll just add one more stat I'll, I'll throw in there. Current fielding percentage, Matt Olson, 0.990. Ronald Acuna Jr., 0.973. Both very good, but uh, Olsen with the edge in that category as well. Although Acuna with that absolute fucking cannon of an arm from right field is uh, an underrated uh, weapon for the Braves too. Having a right fielder, you know, a Raul Mondesi type, a, a Jose Guillen type who can just fucking uncork it to third base is is not every team has that so Braves Braves should should feel very lucky for that part of Acuna's game as well agreed that that is if you're gonna if you nitpick anything about Ronald Acuna's game it is his fielding um it's not bad but it is above average at best but that that (laughs) I I remember uh, Frank Gore having a cannon like that that's the last Braves player I can remember having an outfield cannon like that um and I, R- Ronald's is better, but that's just the last guy I can think of that, you know, at any time there was a sack fly in play, I felt good about my chances of throwing that guy out. Not not that I knew it was going to happen, but I, I feel good every time Ronald lets that ball go. It's never off. It might be a little bit short. It's never off. There's no errors off of his throws, which is a, a humongous thing to point out just because he's not throwing the guy out. He's making a run, making a good effort at it, but he he didn't throw it into the dugout and and cost you more than what he was trying to save. Um, you know, as a Braves fan, this is a, a dream conversation to be having. You know, which one of our two guys at the top of the National League MVP list should win MVP? Um, and you know, to be fair, we had this two years ago with uh, Freddie and Austin Riley, um, but it was never it was never this close. Um, but I I think bringing this to a close, you said if those numbers lined up and, and kept this trajectory all the way to the end, you would lean Olsen, voters would lean Olsen, I would lean Olsen. But right now, Acuna is the favorite. Yeah, de- definitely. Um, this is and this is the only this is the only league where there's going to be ambiguity. The the American League has been wrapped up by by Shohei Otani for uh yeah for quite some time. But uh, Matt Olson actually has a better ERA than Shohei Otani. He's got an ERA of zero point zero zero. So I mean that's that's way better than Otani. Yeah. So does uh so does Nicky Lopez the new <laughs> acquisition and he's pitched an inning. he he, he's the only player that has uh eight rbis and a 0.0 era with an appearance this year so shout shout out to alex anthopolis for once again doing another wizardry thing at the deadline we we bought a guy for cash and traded that guy for nikki lopez who is now since ozzy albies is headed to the 10 day dl extremely needed to just kind of keep our distance from everybody else at the top of the um at the top of the majors and uh Nicky Lopez. I like this kid, man. If you haven't watched some Nicky Lopez, smooth, silky defender. We, we haven't had a defender in the infield like that in quite some time. Um, that's no slight to Ozzy Albies or Dansby Swanson or Orlando Arcia, but 
Nicky Lopez is the best pure defender we've had in the infield in a in a while, I would say. So it's like, I like talking just, about the Braves, man. Uh, it's like it's like the Braves just planted some magic beans and they all just like they all just came up into what they were supposed to be. <laughs> like, it's like we got this for we got this guy for cash. We got these magic beans for cash. Let's see what they can do. Yeah, like we, we literally just bought a dude and traded him. Like <laughs> immediately within within 10 days. And 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 then the dude we traded for is was an immediate contributor. I he broke like in his first four games, he's the first player in the history of Major League Baseball to have eight RBIs with his new team. And it only took him to, he only played twice in those four games. Um, so just like at rid, ridiculous numbers for this Braves team. Uh, you, if you want to get into statistics and just mind blowing numbers, go down what the, what these Braves are doing right now. I, I saw Mark DeRosa um, comparing them to the 27 Yankees murderers row. Uh, and I mean, <laughs> it's, it's very, very comparable. Uh you can say the Braves have better depth than Murderers Row. Of course, nobody's beaten, you know, Babe Ruth at the top of that lineup. But uh, everything else, yeah, man, it's a good time to be a Brave. Great time to be an Oriole too, and it'll be quite something if we do get that World Series matchup that you mentioned. Oh yeah, and uh, that would that would be so that we'd have might have to do we might have to make our way to Truist Field or Camden Yards and do an in person right hash show in the middle of football season from a baseball park. If, if that guys, happened, did you guys <laughs> know that Aaron Judge makes two thirds of what the Orioles do? <laughs> I did not. But that was a great fun fact to uh, to close out our show here from the Nasser Alexander Kuchecki Studios. Once again, we'll have another episode of the Right Hosh coming up. With the EPL season starting and plenty of soccer talk with Rob Jordan and uh, another two hour plus show here today as football is getting closer by this time next week. We'll be watching games. We'll be breaking down games. We'll be picking games. We'll be doing everything involving games because the season is just about here. For Alex Thompson, this is Luke Edgarney. We'll talk to you next time from the Nasser Alexander in your ass with the resurrection is the group harder than an erection that shows no affection they want to ban us on capitol hill because it's die motherfuckers die motherfuckers all alone it was a ghetto nothing but the ghetto taking short steps one foot at